Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Now that it's summer, you might be looking for wholesome, convenient meals for sunny, active days. Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit, can help you fuel up fast with flavorful and nutritious ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You'll save time, eat well, and stay on track reaching your goals and you won't be sitting around waiting for that delivery to your front door or having to make a trip to the grocery store. If you're too busy with summer plans to cook but want to make sure you're eating well, Factor is the answer. Skip that trip to the grocery store. Skip the chopping, prepping, and cleaning up too while still getting flavor and the nutritional quality you need. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are ready in just two minutes, so all you have to do is heat and enjoy and then get back outside and soak up the warm weather. And if you get hungry in the middle of watching pro wrestling, well, during a video package, you can throw a factor meal in the microwave and two minutes later you're sitting down finishing the show, but with a meal you can feel good about eating. I have loved having Factor in my refrigerator. I eat primarily a vegan diet, and I love their options, but they've got options for everybody, including people who are on keto diets or people who are on no special diet. There's barbecue sloppy joes, jalapeno beef mac and cheese, red pepper queso chicken, Italian sausage, and sweet pepperonata. I think that's how you say it. Ancho live salmon and more. The selection is exciting every week when you get to pick out the meals that you want. They'll auto-select meals for you that fit your category if that's easier for you, but you can easily customize what gets delivered to your house and even skip a week or two if you're going to be away or have a lot of dinner plans outside the house. It's so nice having these meals in the refrigerator knowing that they are dietitian approved nutrient-dense meals that are going to leave you feeling satisfied. I can speak from experience when I have a factor meal. I don't even think about snacking for hours afterwards. That's how satisfying they are. But they've got calorie conscious options too for this summer in case you're trying to lose some weight. And if you're trying to put on some muscle mass or gain weight, they have protein plus meals with 30 grams of protein or more per serving. If you've thought of going vegan but think it comes without taste or satisfaction, this is the place to start. My next delivery includes three bean vegan chili, vegan mushroom marsala, harissa, I think that's how you say it, braised garbanzo stew. The next week, my vegan options are peanut buddha bowl, tomato roasted vegetable risotto, smoked tofu almond stir fry, and blackened tofu. Those are the meals I'm looking forward to the next few weeks. You can also round out your meal and replenish your snack supply with cold-pressed juices, shakes, smoothies, and more. So head to factormeals.com slash wade50. That's factormeals.com slash 50 and use code wade50 to get 50% off your first box. That's code wade50 at factormeals.com slash wade50 to get 50% off your first box. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. 
The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Now, PW Torch and Spreaker bring you the Wade Keller Pro Wrestling Podcast. Forbidden Door for AEW is coming up this Sunday night on pay-per-view, and we've got a double header covering Forbidden Door today on the Wade Keller Pro Wrestling Podcast for Thursday, June 22nd, 2023. First up is the Tony Khan Media Q&A from earlier today. A solid hour of questions from the media and Tony Khan's answers previewing this year's edition. And then after that, the previously VIP exclusive roundtable podcast following last year's AEW Forbidden Door pay-per-view. PW Torch VIP analyst Todd Martin and PW Torch columnist Sean Radican joined me for a roundtable discussion lasting an hour and a half last year, breaking down the event that included John Moxley against Hiroshi Tanahashi. Zack Sabre Jr. against Claudio Castagnoli, Will Ospreay against Orange Cassidy, and more. But first, today's media Q&A with Tony Khan. And just a reminder, the new flagship episode this week was uh, dropped on Tuesday. Jason Paul Wolf from ProWrestling.net joined me, and we talked for a couple hours about current events in pro wrestling, a lot about CM Punk, a lot about the bloodline, and more. So if you missed that, that dropped on Tuesday, and it's a couple shows down on the podcast listing if you're looking for uh, analysis of current events. Hi, everyone, and thanks for joining us today to reconnect with Tony Khan in anticipation of the upcoming Forbidden Door pay-per-view event this Sunday at Scotiabank Arena in Toronto, uh, historically one of the greatest professional wrestling cities anywhere in the world. So we want to get it to as many of you as, uh, as we can that are on the line here with Tony over the next hour to discuss the second edition of, of Forbidden Door. So no two-part questions for Tony on Forbidden Door. Let's make that pledge in respect to your fellow journalists so everyone gets a fair chance. And as, as Robin mentioned, please make sure that your phone is unmuted. So I'm going to turn it over to Tony right now for some opening thoughts on Forbidden Door, and then we're going to open the lines for your questions. Tony, are you with us? Yeah, hey, thank you very much, Jim. Hey, everyone. I'm very excited about Forbidden Door this Sunday on Pay-Per-View. It was a great event last year. I'm very excited to be back at Forbidden Door this year. It's great to have our first ever Pay-Per-View event in Toronto. There's so many things 
about this show I'm excited about and excited to talk to all of you about it. So uh, with that, please fire away. All right. Thanks, Tony. Let's get right to it. So we're going to open with Phil Strom from USA Today, and then following Phil will be Dominic D'Angelo from Ad Free Shows. So, Phil, you lead us off. Thank you. Uh, hi, Tony. Uh, thanks for doing this. Um, first, this Sunday is the first time you're going to have some folks, the Elite and CM Punk, on the same card in the same backstage since last year's All Out. That's got to be pretty exciting for AEW. Just how do you feel about that coming into the weekend? Thank you. Thank you, Phil. It's very exciting to have a pay-per-view event with so many of the top stars in AEW competing. What makes things even more interesting is we have so many of the top stars from outside AEW involved in this event, and it, it really feels like an all-star show this Sunday in Toronto at Forbidden Door. Uh, very excited to have CM Punk back in AEW. The debut episode of Collision was a great success for us, both as a huge live event and as a great television premiere on TNT. I think it bodes really well for Saturday Night Wrestling on TNT. And I'm also very excited to have uh, that great representation from the elite. Kenny Omega versus Will Ospreay is one of the most anticipated wrestling matches all year in any promotion or any combination of promotions. Uh, really excited about that. And also, last night we announced a great 10-man tag match with Hangman Page and the Young Bucks teaming up with Eddie Kingston and Tomohiro Ishii versus John Moxley, Claudio Castagnoli, Wheeler Yuta, and Shota, and Takeshita. And really think that can be a great, great 10-man tag. Of course, uh, Ishii faced off with the BCC and Shota pretty recently at Dominion, and that was also a great match. Um, it's very exciting to have so many of our stars back in the company, and I think this weekend's pay-per-view will fittingly be a really great star-studded event with some awesome wrestling. So very pumped for Forbidden Door and what it represents. Thanks, Phil. Yeah, thanks, Phil. Thanks, Tony. Uh, Dominic D'Angelo from Ad Free Shows uh, is next, and Dominic will be followed by Chris Mueller from uh, Bleacher Report. Dominic. Hey, Tony, good to speak with you again, and uh, congratulations on uh, the success of Collision. Uh, looking forward to Forbidden Door this weekend, too. I'll be hosting a watch party along with it, so it'll be fun times. Um, the question I got for you is kind of a follow-up of what Phil said. Um, with CM Punk coming back and everything like that, uh, wanted to get your perspective. Uh, Dave Meltzer had some reports regarding the locker room mentality and stuff like that and how that all kind of situated. I wanted to get your own personal perspective of what it's like to have CM Punk back in the locker room and what's the overall locker room mentality and dynamic with him there? Well, I think it's been so far a positive experience these past few shows. It was great to have a successful debut for AEW Collision on Saturday night. And last night, being in Chicago, it made a lot of sense to hype Forbidden Door and promote this Saturday's eight-man tag match. We have a huge match coming up with CM Punk, FTR, and Ricky Starks teaming up against Jay White, Juice Robinson, and the Guns, this new Bullet Club Gold. And I think that's a big event, and it was very cool that we were able to promote it and uh, – have CM Punk make a surprise return to Dynamite in Chicago. And I know the live fans really enjoyed that, and I thought it was a really positive thing. And I think it'll hopefully 
continue, and uh, fans certainly have got a lot of things to look forward to on Forbidden Door this Sunday. Uh, the locker room was a really positive experience at Collision, and then yesterday was a great dynamite. So uh, I felt like it's been off to a great start, certainly, especially with the really positive numbers we got for the first collision. Everyone was really excited about that, too. Thank you. Thanks, Dominic. Chris Mueller from uh, Bleacher Report is next. Chris will be followed by a write-in question from Chris Walker from DAZN News. Chris? Hey, Don. Hey, Tony. Hey, Tony. Uh, one thing that I think surprised a couple people about the booking of Forbidden Door was uh, booking Jungle Boy Jack Perry to face Sonata. I was just wondering if you could talk about that and whether you know there were any other choices available that you were considering to face Sonata other than Jungle Boy, or was he always the first pick in your mind? He was the first pick in my mind, and when New Japan Pro Wrestling asked me for a top star in AEW, uh, I really believe in Jungle Boy Jack Perry. From the very beginning of the company, he's been somebody we believed in, and every year he's gotten further along and built his connection with the crowd, and I think as a wrestler, he's continued to develop, and I thought it was a great match at Double or Nothing with the four pillars fighting for the AEW World Championship, and Jungle Boy is somebody I really believe can continue rising to the top of pro wrestling, and it could be a great champion for any company. So when I was sitting down with New Japan and discussing this event, Jungle Boy was somebody I put forward as one of our top stars who I thought would be a great matchup for Sonata, and if he wins, he would be a great champion for New Japan. So I'm really excited about it, and I believe Jungle Boy continues to push and push, and he's one of our top stars, and that's why I thought he would be a great matchup for Sonata, and I think it'll be a great match this Sunday at Forbidden Door. Thanks, Chris. Um... Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
Hey guys, it's Mike McMahon from the All Elite After Show. Every week, Andrew Socek and I break down AEW on our free PW Torch podcast. We've been doing this show since 2016. That's right. We're on our fifth year. When we started the show back then, we were talking just Impact Wrestling, and we still talk about them from time to time as well. And over the years, we've branched out to also discuss MLW, and of course, the main event of our program, which is always the latest going on in AEW. Again, the show is called the All Elite After Show with me, Mike McMahon, and my partner, Andrew Socek. You can check us out as part of the PW Torch Daily Cast lineup. You can subscribe to our show and all of the Daily Cast shows just by searching PW Torch on any podcast cast app and of course you can listen ad free with a pw torch vip membership with the lucky land slots you can get lucky just about anywhere this is your captain speaking uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky no, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So we have a, a write-in here from Chris Walker from Zone News. And after you answer that, Bill Pritchard from Russell Zone will be next. Great. So Chris Walker asks, uh, out of all the matches that you've booked and watched as a fan, where does Okada versus Dragon rank? <laughs> uh, it would rank near the top for sure. There have been a few matches that had taken place before, particularly in Japan, that I was really excited to be able to bring to America. Certainly Omega versus Osprey is a great example of that. Uh, a match that was an amazing bout at the Tokyo Dome, and we're very excited to have the rematch here at AEW New Japan Forbidden Door. I'm thrilled to be a part of that on Sunday. The initial Double or Nothing had a main event of Chris Jericho versus Kenny Omega, and that was also a rematch from the Tokyo Dome where it was a dream match and something I wanted to see, but it was also then after they wrestled in Japan, something I wanted to bring to America and that I believed would do very strong business. And in the case of Brian Danielson versus Kazuchika Okada, I just believe Danielson versus Okada is one of those wrestling dream matches that goes back many years. It's never happened before. And in recent weeks, we've really tried to build anticipation for it. Since that video played at Dominion with Danielson laying out the challenge, and since Okada has responded and accepted the challenge, in recent weeks on AEW TV, we've promoted the match, built it up. Danielson has had strong words. And last night on AEW Dynamite in Chicago, Okada returned to AEW. And it was great to see him back in the ring here. It was great to have Okada back in Chicago where he wrestled with us last year. And he cleaned house. This year he successfully nailed that Rainmaker on Yuta. And it's the, it certainly is one of the most anticipated matches for me personally in my lifetime. And I believe for a lot of fans, that match this Sunday, Okada versus Danielson, is one of the true dream matches in wrestling. And I believe it ranks 
certainly near the top for me in the most anticipated matches of my career and of my lifetime as a wrestling fan. So I'm very, very excited for that match on Sunday. Thank you very much. Thanks, Chris. Bill Pritchard from WrestleZone, you are up next. Sean Ross Sapp from Fightful will follow. Bill. Hey, Tony, how are you? Yeah, very well. Thanks, man. How are you? Good. Uh, the, the Owen Hart tournament brackets were finally announced uh, last night in full. Uh, it seemed like ev everybody, it was well-received, but one complaint that I noticed was there's no Canadians or a lack of Canadians in both brackets. And I just wanted to see if you had any thoughts on that specifically, or if you could talk about what went into putting the men's and women's brackets together for this year. Well, I wanted to give the strongest field possible, and I felt like we put together a really, really strong field with some of the top stars in AEW and, and some great names. Uh, and this is something we're going to be doing year after year, the Owen Hart Tournament, uh, and tried to pick the best eight wrestlers that we could on each side that were available on all the dates and to create the most compelling matchups for TV and pay-per-view. And I really, as you said, I think the bracket was well-received and people are really excited about the matchups. And I just tried to use uh, the best people from the roster available for those dates that I thought would make for the best matchups. And I think there are a lot of exciting matchups in there. Uh, and with the event in Canada this year, uh, and hopefully in future years, we'll be able to continue having more and more AEW events in Canada, including hopefully future Owen Hart tournaments. You know, there are great opportunities for more and more Canadian stars to get involved in these events too. And as it stands right now, there's great international representation in the tournament. And I think both the men's tournament and the women's tournament are going to be excellent events. And I'm very excited for them culminating in Calgary and, of course, both tournaments kicking off this week with uh, the women's tournament opening up in Chicago with Sky Blue in her hometown taking on Anna Jay tomorrow night on Friday Night Rampage and then the tournament continuing through the weekend into Canada and the men's tournament starting in Canada uh, with the very highly anticipated Punk versus Kojima match, which is another match I have always wanted to see and I'm very much looking forward to this Sunday on pay-per-view. Thank you, Bill. Sean Rossap from Fightful is next. Sean will be followed by Ella J, uh, who represents a wrestling gal. Sean? Hey, Tony. Uh, you, you booked CM Punk against Kojima, which is very clearly a match that CM Punk has wanted for a long time. He's even referenced Kojima in, in interviews like 18 years ago. But there was word that he could be facing Kenta, and maybe there were some issues there. Is there anything you can speak on in regards to that? Because, I mean, you all had to make a lot of changes to last year, and that seems like could have been the case this year as well. Well, this is a really strong card for Sunday's event. I'm incredibly excited about it, and I think this is a great hard-hitting match, and this is the match I want to see. And it's worked out perfectly that Sunday's card is – in my opinion, the most stars we've ever had on any pay-per-view we've ever done. It is such a star-studded show, and I thought it was very fitting 
that one of the most decorated champions in the history of Japan, Satoshi Kojima, who has been the globally honored, uh, the GHC champion, the global honored crown winner, uh, the IWGP heavyweight champion, the triple crown champion, and to have one of the most decorated heavyweights ever in Japan to come here and wrestle one of the most decorated heavyweights ever in America, CM Punk. It's a huge matchup, and I think it's very fitting that it's in this great Owen Hart tournament field where we have so many great matchups lined up. And I thought it was a great match to kick off the tournament. Uh, and I'm really excited about it. Uh, and I think Kojima, for us, is an amazing get and somebody I was really excited to have in. He was involved in the biggest pay-per-view we ever had, All Out 2021, which is the most successful non-WWE wrestling event on pay-per-view since the 90s. And he was a great part of that event. He had a great match with John Moxley, and I loved working with Kojima, and he was somebody I really wanted to bring back to this event. So I was very excited about it. And for me personally, Kojima versus Punk is a match I've always wanted to see. I think they both always wanted to wrestle each other. So it's a great, great match for us on the card. And as for anybody else that was allegedly going to be involved or allegedly rumored, I really can't comment to that. But I would say that as it stands, I think this is our best card, our best iteration of a card. And I feel like it's a stacked show with the most star power we've ever presented this Sunday on pay-per-view. Thanks, man. Sean. Thanks for downloading today's show. Take it to the next level with a VIP membership. Get shows like this, the Wake Keller Pro Sync Podcast, Wake Keller Pro Sync Post Show, and the PW Torch Daily Casts on our PW Torch VIP podcast feed with ads and plugs removed from the shows for a streamlined listening experience. And also here are the VIP exclusive shows that I host with Rich Fan and Todd Martin. Everything with Rich Fan and The Fix with Todd Martin's signature VIP series that you're missing out without a VIP membership. So go VIP here in 2022 and enjoy all the benefits, all the bonus content, and the ad-free listening experience. PWTorch.com slash go VIP. Ella J, a wrestling gal, is next, and we will follow Ella with a write-in from Zach Hadorn from PW Torch. Ella? Hi, Tony. How are you? Yeah, I'm very well, Ella. How are you? Pretty good. I'm obviously excited for Forbidden Door this weekend. It's this huge show with AEW and New Japan, but I know a lot of people were hoping to see maybe some talent from New Japan's sister company of Stardom. So I was wondering if AEW had any consideration to include talent from Stardom, and if so, kind of did you have your eye on any certain talent to possibly include from their roster? It's a great question, Ella. Actually, when we lined up the event, I learned that Stardom had scheduled an event the same day as Forbidden Door, so a lot of their talent would not be available. It is sometimes an issue in the promotion of this event that there are other events happening in Japan at the same time, and I can only imagine how challenging that is because we have our TV over here. So uh, certainly when our wrestlers have had to go to Japan, we miss them, and I know that that can be hard. Uh, for example, Wheeler Yuta was in the Super Junior last year, uh, and Eddie Kingston going to the G1 this year. So it can be challenging at times when you lose great wrestlers for an extended period of time. Um, we've sent Willow to 
participate in New Japan shows, but most of the stuff Willow has done with New Japan has been in America. So it hasn't been detrimental to her ability to appear on AEW TV, which is great because Willow is a great star for us and a rising star who's been involved in a lot of the shows recently, including being on the winning team in a great match on the debut episode of Collision here in Chicago last Saturday. Uh, so with Stardom having their own event scheduled the same day as Forbidden Door, they found it very challenging to have participation in this show, and I completely understand that as a promoter. And in the future, I would like to work with Stardom more, and, and hopefully if the logistics and the scheduling work out, I think there are more things we could do. And um, through our shared friends and partners at New Japan Pro Wrestling, I do understand there is interest from Stardom in working together, and the key is finding dates when we're not doing shows at the same time when the talent can cross over and work together a little more. But it's definitely something we did talk about and are very open to in the future. All right. <clears throat> Thanks, Ella. I've got a write-in here from Je uh, Zach uh, Haydorn from PW Torch. And after you answer that, Tony, we'll go to Jim Barcelona for the Miami Herald. Zach's uh, question from PW Torch is pretty straightforward. How was booking this year's Forbidden Door event Different, different than putting on the inaugural event last year? Well, a, that's a really great question. It's been different, and I'll talk to you about how it's been different. First of all, the rapport has been built. I already had a really good connection with Rocky, but Ghetto and I were getting to know each other better last year. Now I feel really close to Ghetto. I think we're friends and have a great relationship. And he was actually in the office with me working last night, and it was great to have him there. And... Uh, in addition to having a better connection with Ghetto-san and, and having built a closer relationship and, and even more trust than we had going into last year, which I think we'd worked together at a distance, you know, sending people back and forth, talking through Rocky, but really built a personal rapport last year that's gotten stronger. And I really like Ghetto and really respect him. And and also with the on the business side, I've built a stronger connection with Obari-san, and Mr. Obari's done a great job with the New Japan Pro Wrestling office and the business side, building that as Ghetto has done an amazing job with the booking and creative. And I love working with both of them. I think they're both tremendous. That's been a great part of it. Also, this year, thankfully, knock wood, I'm looking for some wood close to me right now. I might have to get up and walk around. Uh, this will have to do. Uh, we are not as injury bitten as we were last year at this time. Last year was the most challenging run of injuries that I've ever been through in any sport. This is my 12th year in the National Football League. I've spent seven years as the director of football at Fulham Football Club, and now we've been go going through AEW over four years on pay-per-view and, and done hundreds of events. Never have I seen anything like what happened last year between Double or Nothing and Forbidden Door in terms of huge stars getting injured and in all different kinds of ways, not just one thing. Uh, the injury bug truly bit us hard, and we were able to persevere. We worked really hard, and on the New Japan side, there were challenges too. Obviously, there were some big names there that didn't make the show. I'm very excited to have Ishii participating in the show this weekend, for example, because last year that, that was a challenge. Uh, on his end, and of course for AEW, 
Brian Danielson versus Okada. It's a huge dream match, and it's a huge step for AEW that Brian Danielson's part of the event this year. Last year, uh, CM Punk broke his foot before the event, and he was supposed to have a big match with Tanahashi, and now we have another incredible match nobody thought they were going to get to see with Punk versus Kojima in an Owen Hart Foundation tournament quarterfinal. Uh, and Kenny Omega is one of the biggest stars in AEW and one of the biggest stars ever in New Japan Pro Wrestling, and Kenny Omega is here. Uh, and having the rematch with Will Ospreay under these incredible circumstances on AEW New Japan Pro Wrestling Forbidden Door. Last year, so many of these great stars were not available, and we still had what was, in the opinion of so many fans all over the world, the greatest wrestling show in the world all year last year. And this year, we haven't had those same issues with injuries. It's been, there have been issues, but it's been great uh, putting the show together. And I feel like it's been less challenging in many ways to get to this point. And we had a show that was so great last year. And people had questions going in if, if we were going to be able to make it as good as it looked on paper and as good as it originally looked on paper. And we were able to do that despite all those injuries, all those challenges. This year, it feels like the card has come together without that same wave of injuries that affected last year's show. And so I believe we can do an even better show this Sunday at Forbidden Door on pay-per-view. I think the show can be even better than last year's show, which is one of the greatest things I've ever been associated with. Thanks, Zach. <clears throat> Jim Barcelone from the Miami Herald is next. Amy Nemedy from WrestleJoy will follow Jim. Jim, you're up. Thank you, Tony. With the crossover we've seen with MMA and pro wrestling, the pro wrestlers, and even sometimes the companies, I'm just curious because the report I saw about Bellator if MMA is something that you all are interested in, and if so, how does that help AEW if it does? Thank you. I was surprised to see that report. Uh, I haven't had any conversations with them about that, so I don't know what that was about. My father hasn't had any conversations with them either. I'm not even sure who you'd talk to. I don't even know, honestly, who owns the promotion. Is Scott Coker the owner or the president? I'm not sure. Um, I'm, a, I'm familiar with Bellator. I'm familiar with MMA uh, and have never worked professionally in this space other than having some stars from UFC appear at times in AEW. Um, but I saw that report, and, yeah, there's, there's really nothing to that. I'm not sure where that rumor got started. Uh, but, obviously, it's an interesting time in the MMA business, just as it's a very interesting time in the pro wrestling business with a lot of things happening. And with the success of AEW and our international expansion, big things like this sold-out Forbidden Door show and all of the international interest around it and the anticipation for AEW All-In with over 65,000 tickets sold, setting all sorts of attendance and revenue records. It will be the biggest wrestling event ever in Europe and outside of a couple of the WrestleManias as, as it stands right now, and only a couple of them in all the years, uh, it would stand only next to a few of those as the most successful, highest grossing wrestling event of all time. And there are so many things exciting there on the business side and with the launch of AEW Fight Forever, 
all of this happening at the same time. It's just a really uh, great time for the business right now. So uh, I believe that with all those great things happening, people would look at that and say, well, sure, it would be great if there was that same competition in MMA, if that same spirit of competition. I do believe we are the greatest challenger brand in all of sports. People have written it, that this is the most successful sports startup since the AFL, and I believe that. I think this will end very differently than the AFL because I don't intend to become uh, part of the league we compete with. I think it's good for us to be two separate leagues, whereas the merger of the AFL and the NFL turned out to be the best thing for the fans in the end. It was also uh, a merger of equals, and it involved parity, and the NFL is the greatest league for parity of competition and running the business in all sports, and all sports leagues aspire to be that. I think in pro wrestling, what we built in a relatively short time is very exciting and looks good to a lot of people. And if you could create that in MMA, it would be very exciting. But I honestly have never had any talks, and my father has never had any talks about buying Bellator, so I was surprised to see that. Was that something – I was at the show. I was backstage yesterday. Somebody sent me that. Was that something Ariel Hawani reported? I'm asking. I don't know. Yeah, I, was yeah, I know. I was, I was muted. Yes, that was. correct. You're correct. Okay, well, it would not be the first inaccurate thing Ariel Hawani has reported. That is completely inaccurate, but that's Ariel Hawani for you. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you, Jim. One way that you can help us sustain our schedule of putting out podcasts throughout the week is by giving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Just go to Apple Podcasts and look for our Wade Keller Processing Podcast and Wade Keller Processing Post Show and give us a five-star rating. We hope you think we've earned that score with our fast turnaround times and our quantity and quality of wrestling analysis throughout the week. So take a moment out for us and do us a favor and give us a five-star rating at Apple Podcasts. That helps us on search returns and helps us grow. And if you want, you can add a few comments about what you like about the programs in the comments section. Thank you so much. Being an entity from WrestleJoy is up. Amy will be followed by Stephanie Chase from Digital Spy. Amy. Hi, Tony. Congratulations on what is a very exciting card for Forbidden Door. Thank you. Um, with so many people on this card, you've talked about all of the star power that you have. I really want to focus on the BCC versus the Young Bucks, Hangman Page, Ishii, and Eddie Kingston. With the BCC, we have Moxley, Claudio, Wheeler Yuta, Takeshita, and the evil Don Callis, and Shota Umino. Um, you have a very compelling story with the Elite and BCC, but in this match, you also have a mix of people with very different goals. Eddie Kingston and John Moxley both faced the Young Bucks at Double or Nothing 21, and Ishii has never fought with them in New Japan, only against them as a part of the faction Chaos. Can you talk about bringing this match together with people from different backgrounds who may not even get along necessarily, but have the same goal in taking down the BCC, or in Kingston's case, just Claudio? Thank you. Well, thank you very much. I think it's a very exciting match. There are some really fascinating dynamics at play. Uh, Wheeler Yuta brought up a pretty good point today. I guess he's officially out of chaos now, for sure. Uh, and uh, I think he has been for a while, as we've seen, but uh, that amused me. Uh, well, I uh, think there are a lot of fascinating dynamics at work here. Certainly, uh, with Tomohiro Ishii and his involvement, he's got such an amazing history with some of his 
own teammates here. Like you said, he's fought against the elite. He's fought against the Bullet Club at times, and certainly he's fought against Eddie Kingston. Uh, and we've also seen Ishii have great matches against the BCC. They had a great six-man match at Dominion, and one of the best matches I've seen in recent years was Ishii versus Moxley in the G1 in 2019. And I think there are so many fascinating dynamics here. Certainly the dynamic between Eddie Kingston and John Moxley is a major emotional hook to this match. And I thought John Moxley and what he said and the, and his behavior and his demeanor added a lot to the show yesterday. And it was a great, great ending to the show, I thought, to have several of the matches intersect and then have uh, Eddie Kingston and John Moxley have that interaction in the ring and build some anticipation for Sunday. Certainly, I think that got people more interested in what's going to happen there. And when Eddie said he had a partner, he he meant it. He brought a, one of the top wrestlers in the world out in Ishii-san. And I think that's going to be an amazing 10-man tag match, following up on some great matches these people have had with each other. There's an amazing anarchy in the arena. They're great six-man tag at Dominion. And now something to make it very different to see John Moxley and Eddie Kingston, these two longtime best friends standing on the opposite sides of the ring, makes it really, really interesting. And I know that it's going to be a great match on Sunday at Forbidden Door. And it's something now I personally really want to see too, so I'm very excited about it. And I thought uh, with Ishii coming in, with Mox and Eddie on opposite sides, with Eddie hating Claudio so much, with Yuta's history, uh, with Ishii, uh, you know, being uh, chaos guys, and with with um, so many other things happening in this match, it's just really fascinating. And certainly, the elite in the BCC coming out of Anarchy in the Arena, that amazing classic they had at Double or Nothing. Uh, there's a lot of hate, a lot of uh, furor between those factions, those teams. And now I think even more interest in this match with Eddie Kingston and Ishii being involved, as well as Shota stepping in uh, with his mentor, John Moxley. And great to have Takeshita involved in this match, too, after he really betrayed the mentorship he got from the Elite. So uh, I think there's a lot of interesting dynamics, and I, hopefully it'll be a great match on Sunday at Forbidden Door. Thank you. Thank you very much, Amy. Stephanie Chase from Digital Spy <clears throat> is next, and I'm going to follow uh, Stephanie with a write-in question from Will Gray from Box Spots and Chair Shots. Stephanie. Hi, Tony. How are you? Hey, I'm very well. How are you? I'm great, thanks. So, Tony, you're always juggling a lot, you know, booking-wise. Um, and we've heard that Brian Danielson, Jericho have some involvement in booking and creative, as well as CM Punk on Collision. So I was wondering, with the women's roster growing, we've got, like, Willow, who we'll see on Sunday, Sky Blue, and more young talent. Are there any women taking a role backstage in helping with booking and creative of the women's division and just making sure that there's female perspectives heard when working on, like, characters, directions, and storylines for the women's roster? Yeah, Madison Rain and Sarah Stock both are very involved in 
the coaching and producing of matches. Uh, I have a lot of people who come in and make suggestions and bring ideas, including all the people you just named, and there are several others. Um, so in addition to some people you named, certainly uh, Sarah Stock and Madison Rain, in addition to some other people like QT Marshall uh, and Pat Buck, Sanjay Dutt, Jerry Lynn, Dean Malenko, and many others uh, that ha have had involvement. But certainly uh, Sarah has added a lot while she's been with us, and, and Madison has been here uh, a bit longer, and Madison is tremendous. And uh, she had been out of wrestling with an injury, but she's still backstage with us uh, dealing with a foot injury she had in a match a couple months ago. And excited to get her back in the ring at some point, but she is uh, tremendously useful backstage and uh, great to get their perspective on the women's division. We have a great team of people, and I love to get the perspective of everybody at CAM backstage, including wrestlers. So uh, that might mean, if, I, if it's a women's division, talking to a lot of the top women in the company and getting their perspective on matches, people they want to wrestle, uh, ideas they might have, and I'm trying to utilize everybody's stuff. And when it comes to all these shows, whether it's Dynamite, Rampage, Collision, or our pay-per-view events, at the end of the day, there's one final say and one person who puts the card together, and it's me. I'm a big paperwork guy. And the, so by being a big paperwork and organization guy, I find myself in the middle of everything. So I'm not just like a big picture guy. I also do all the paperwork and put all the shows together. So um, every idea has to go through me at the end of the day. So a lot of the top women in the company, wrestlers, uh, are also very creative people. So I love getting ideas from people like Ruby Soho, Tony Storm, Britt Baker, Jamie Hayter, uh, a number of others. Jade has had great ideas at times. And uh, great to have Chris Statlander back in the company. I love working with the wrestlers personally, hands-on. And then also we have great coaches, men and women, um, that will talk to them, get their ideas, and we try to organize things. And then I put everything into one format to get us all on the same page, literally. Thanks. Thank you, Stephanie. Now you can subscribe to our VIP podcast lineup within the Apple Podcast app using your Apple account. That's new as of March 2022. Just search PW Torch in your Apple Podcast app and you'll see the PW Torch Daily Cast logo show up. That's our free show that's been around forever. And also the PW Torch VIP Podcast logo. There is a free show every week. So subscribe even if you don't plan to go VIP and get a sample of our VIP tier programming. But if you click subscribe, then you'll become a VIP member instantly with a three-day free trial, after which your Apple account will be charged. So you don't need to take out your credit card, debit card, or go anywhere else. If you listen to our free shows on Apple Podcasts, you are five seconds away from being a VIP member with a three-day free trial. So we invite you to check it out. That includes dozens of VIP shows throughout the week, including VIP versions of the Wade Keller Pro Wrestling post shows and podcasts and daily casts. All those episodes are presented to VIP members with ads and plugs removed, along with VIP exclusives like our post-pay-per-view roundtables, the Wade Keller Hotline, The Fix with Todd and Wade, everything with Rich and Wade, and many other VIP exclusive shows. Just search PW Torch within the Apple Podcasts app. Tony, I've got a writing question here uh, from Will Gray from Box Spots and Chair Shots. 
And after you answer Will, Dave Meltzer from the Wrestling Observer will follow. Will's question is, with successful relationships in the past and the success of Forbidden Door, are there plans to open that door to other companies outside of New Japan Pro Wrestling in the near future? Well, it's a great – so so let me make sure I got – can you read that right in one more time, Jim, just to make sure I didn't no. misunderstand? Sorry. Yeah, no worries. Um, with, with the successful relationships that you've had in the past and the success of Forbidden Door, are there plans, given all that, to open that door a little bit wider, possibly to other companies outside of New Japan Pro Wrestling in the near future? It's a great question. I think the relationship we have with New Japan is very strong, pun intended, and it's something we're going to continue. Um, we have other strong relationships with other wrestling promotions, but nothing quite like what we do with New Japan Pro Wrestling and the depth of it. And I think there's a lot of common ground we share, and it's become a great relationship. And it wasn't a great relationship to start, and I think that's part of what makes it so cool that it's become so so strong. Uh, for the wrestling fans, I think it would be great if we get involved and work with more promotions. Something I would love to do is get more involved in Lucha Libre. I don't think it's any secret I love Lucha, and I love bringing in the top luchadors. I had a really funny conversation the other night. Um, where were we? Was that in San Diego? Was that? Might have been in, after the San Diego show. Um, and I was talking to a lot of the Lucha stars and a lot of the best luchadors in the world, honestly. And we were all uh, just sitting around talking after a show. And I don't think they knew how much I loved Lucha. And we started talking. And then I started talking about old CMLL and how coming out of college, especially after WCW and ECW closed, I really found myself watching a lot of the CMLL TV at the time. And I thought it was a great run of wrestling. It's funny. I mean, uh, the Jungle Boy theme was at, at one point, the song is called Tarzan Boy. Well, there was a wrestler, Tarzan Boy, who teamed with Ultimo Guerrero and Ray Bucanero, and that was a, a pretty similar entrance, I'll have to admit. And uh, there were a lot of other things I was inspired by at the time. It's kind of cool. Mystico is back in CMLL now. I thought Mystico was great at the time. And, uh, you know, Shocker and Dr. Wagner, so many great things. I was a really, really big fan, though, of Ray Bucanero and Ultimo Guerrero in particular. And I love talking to the luchadors about the current lucha and the old lucha. I think we have some of the best luchadors in the world in AEW now, but more of the luchadors in AEW now are from AAA. And I really like Conan. And uh, we don't always agree on everything wrestling-wise, but as a person, Carlos is a really good guy, and I like him. And I like working with a lot of the luchadors that he has promoted, and some of them are people he's discovered. And we've had a great group of people that have come through here. And I think a lot of our American and international wrestlers from outside of Mexico also are great at working that style. So I do love working with Lucha Libre also. Um, but one thing that's challenging is there's two major promotions, and we sit in a pretty interesting place where New Japan is partners with CMLL, but, but I work pretty closely at times with AAA and bring in a lot of those wrestlers. And that, at times, can present challenges in promoting events, but if there was a way to get all of the top Lucha stars uh, on the same page and if we could 
have more involvement there, I would love that. But also, I don't want to get in the middle of other people's promotional battles because I know that can be challenging. And uh, um, to be fair, uh, other people have gotten in the middle of mine at times. <laughs> so uh, I I do love Lucha, so I think that would be something interesting there. Of course, I do think in addition to working with New Japan, there have been conversations about if we could do things with stardom, which I think would be really exciting. And we have a great women's roster in AEW and a great women's roster that I control in Ring of Honor as the booker there, too. Um, so I would really love to have more involvement with stardom, more involvement uh, with Lucha promotions. I think there are no partnerships in wrestling as strong as a partnership between AEW and New Japan Pro Wrestling, though. And I think that's part of what makes Forbidden Door such a unique event. And I think that's uh, part of why this card is going to be so great on Sunday for, for this Forbidden Door pay-per-view. But I would love to work with other promotions and, and create other great events, too. And I think uh, those are some of the great opportunities out there if we were to ever try to create other strong partnerships, so to speak. Thank you. Thanks, Will. You can support us on Patreon and get these shows with ads and plugs removed, the Wade Keller Pro Wrestling Podcast, Wade Keller Pro Wrestling Post Shows, and the PW Torch Daily Cast throughout the week with ads and plugs removed, plus a few bonus VIP shows throughout the month for just $4.99 a month. Check it out, patreon.com slash VIP. That's patreon.com slash VIP, And you can also upgrade to other tiers and receive even more benefits through Patreon. Dave Meltzer from the Wrestling Observer is next. Dave will be followed by Stu Myrick from The Horn, 104.9 in Austin. Dave. Dave, you need to unmute yourself. Okay, can you hear me? Hey, yeah, I can now. Hey, Dave. Okay, hey, how are you doing, Tony? Um, yeah, on the um, on the first on the first collision show Friday night, um, CM Punk made the reference to the term "one bill fill," and of course, you know, watching that, I'm going like, we've all heard the rumors and everything like that. I guess the best way to say is there smoke to that fire now that it was sort of referenced on television, or would you just kind of say it was a figure of speech? Well, it was a throwback in many ways uh, to the wrestling. I grew up on, and I remember being a teenage kid in high school and watching wrestling on TNT, watching a two-hour wrestling show every week on TNT and seeing a, a huge wrestling star of the time come out and reference Ted Turner on TNT. And I thought it was pretty cool to turn forward the clock to the present day and have a big wrestling star of the moment on TV referencing Mr. Zasloff, and especially given the way this show came to be, given that it was in the 90s where Ted Turner said, I want to give a slot on Monday night on TNT to pro wrestling, and here we are in 2023, and Mr. Zasloff, he runs the Turner Networks, and also he runs a large percentage of entertainment, and uh, he's the boss of Warner Brothers Discovery, movie studios, TV channels, and so many things. And it's amazing to see how far that Turner empire has come and what it's become from what we, as wrestling fans, knew as the empire of TBS, TNT, TCM, CNN, and those great channels. Uh, and now with wrestling on 
TNT on Saturday nights, this was Mr. Zaslov's idea. He was the one who said, give two hours, 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Central, every Saturday night to AEW. And we created Collision. And it was, I thought, very fitting to see Phil give a shout-out to Mr. Zaslov. And it's no secret that AEW, uh, we're trying to grow our revenues, chasing that media bag. So I thought that was uh, very cool and a nice nod to the growing business that is AEW, where we're doing now multi-million dollar live gates, uh, sell out international shows, and got a video game launching, and we've already got nine-figure revenues, and we're growing and growing and pushing to hit that magic number that Phil referenced. So uh, I think it was it was very cool and uh, a nice nod to what a hot time it is in the wrestling business and how exciting it is for pro wrestling in the media space right now because it feels like there's a lot of pro wrestling on TV and for a fan, especially, well, for all fans. For I was about to say one specific age group of fans, but I'm not going to do that. Instead, I'll take it across all age groups because I think it's whether you were there 20-something years ago and had all this wrestling on TV and knew what it was like to have wrestling almost every night on TV and be able to find it whenever you wanted because it wasn't like that for a long time for a lot of us. And it feels like it is again now where there's a lot of wrestling on TV, and that's because of the fans because fans are supporting it. And... uh making wrestling good business again for the TV networks. So I thought it was very cool as we premiere a new show to reference that and what's happening in the world of media. Uh, and uh, it was a great debut, and that was a big part of it. So uh, I enjoyed it. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Dave. Stu Myrick from The Horn, 104.9 in Austin, is next. Stu will be followed by Steve Fall from 10 Count. Stu. Tony, thank you so much for your time and uh, looking forward to the event on Sunday. I wanted to ask about the brackets for the Owen Hart Cup tournaments. Uh, very stacked brackets. I, of course, I'll be rooting for a competitor that I get to work with quite a bit here in the Austin area in the natural Dustin Rhodes. Uh, one omission, though, in the men's tournament particularly, Adam Cole, who won the tournament last year. Uh, I know, I do see Britt Baker in the women's tournament, and of course she won last year, so she gets to defend the cup uh, on her side. But uh, what was the reasoning behind uh, Adam Cole not being in the tournament? Is it because he may be involved in the world title picture with MJF, or just just uh, talk about that for a moment? Well, in addition to being involved in the title picture and being a great contender, Adam Cole is in the Blind Eliminator World Tag Team Tournament. So with his participation in the Tag Team Tournament, it would be challenging for him to be in both brackets at the same time. Uh, I'm planning to promote all the exciting tournaments coming up. It kicks off this week with the Owen Hart Tournament launching on Rampage. Uh, bracket breakout with the, the brackets going forward for the fans to track what's happening in the Owen Hart men's tournament, the Owen Hart women's tournament, and next week as we launch the Blind Eliminator bracket. We know MJF and Adam Cole are going to be a team, and we're going to learn more about the other teams involved in this great tournament, chosen 
at random in that blind drawing by Tony Schiavone. And I think Adam Cole had an amazing match last week on Dynamite in that 30-minute draw with MJF. And we saw them back in the ring together facing each other last night face-to-face. But now we learn they're going to be partners in this tournament, which is very exciting. They have a lot of differences, but they do have some things in common. Uh, Both of them have had a checkered pass with Tony Schiavone, for example, as we saw last night. And I'm very excited to see them as a team after seeing them as great opponents in a great match last week. So Adam Cole was a great winner for the Owen Hart Cup Foundation Tournament. And I'm very excited to have him uh, participating now in this tag team tournament. So uh, he will be very involved in TV, just in a different tournament this year than last year. Thanks, Stu. Thank you, Stu. Steve Paul from 10 Count, you are next. He will be followed by David Bixenspan from Babyface versus Heel. Steve. Tony, very excited about the show this weekend. I'll be there live enjoying the event. But Darby Allen and a tag team partner, and of course, once a to-be-determined announcement is there, everyone online starts throwing out names. I've asked you before about this, but I'll ask again. Have you spoken to Goldberg about coming into AEW, being involved? Maybe not even Forbidden Door, just being involved with AEW. I have had nice conversations with Bill uh, about being involved with AEW at times. Uh, it's a it's a good thought. Um, I don't know if it would be the perfect fit for who Sting and Darby are going to bring to Collision this weekend, but I also uh, want to leave uh, all the doors open for them and their partner for Forbidden Door. But I think it would it would ideally be somebody that would step in and be a good fit for the Forbidden Door show. I think Bill Goldberg is a legend in pro wrestling. He's one of the biggest names in the sport. And certainly I've had nice conversations with him at times. Uh, And as for who Sting and Darby bring in this weekend, there certainly have been a lot of guesses. I think a lot of them have been more in line with uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling's biggest names. Uh, But Bill Goldberg has gone over and and competed in in Japan too. So it's a fair question. Um, and you have asked me that before, as you noted. Uh, but, uh, you know, at this time, my, my answer would be the same as it was last time. Yeah, I've had nice talks with Bill at times about doing things with AEW, and that's probably all I could say. Thank you, Steve. David Bixenspan from Babyface versus Heel is next. And David will be followed by Michael Shalek from SE Scoops. David. Hey, Tony. Thanks for your time. Thank you, Bix. So... <sighs> I guess the best way to put this is there's this been been this kind of ever-present rumor for a while, I guess, you know, stemming from the line at the All Out press conference about trying to run a business that CM Punk might have an ownership stake in AEW. Is that the case, or was when he said that line, was that just like the colloquialism regarding his behind-the-scenes role? That's just a colloquialism. Um, I own the business. But he's one of the top stars here and has an interest in AEW being a strong box office business. And his return is helping us and helped launch AEW Collision with a great rating. And 
he drives interest in our TV shows and pay-per-views and merchandise and is a huge star for us. So he's definitely interested in the bottom line being strong and he wants the company to do well. Uh, I think that's a colloquialism, though, (laughs) to answer your question. (laughs) Thanks, David. In 2012, NXT transitioned into the developmental system and ultimately the brand you see today. On the Torch VIP podcast, NXT Eight Years Back, we'll be taking a weekly look at this page in NXT's early history. Join Kelly Wells and me, Tom Stout, from PWT Talks NXT every Saturday as we go eight years back to the day to track NXT's rising talents and why they did or didn't work out exclusively for PW Torch VIP members. Michael Salas from SE Scoops is next, and we will follow Michael with what I believe will be our final uh, reporter of the day, uh, Rick Uccino from SB Nation. Michael? Hey, Tony. Uh, good luck this weekend and next week with the video game launch. Thank My you. question relates to AEW Collision viewership. So the show started off great with, I think it was 800,000, 816,000 viewers for the premiere episode. Um, has Warner Brothers expressed what level of viewership they're looking at to consider the show a success? Is it simply a matter of doing better viewership than what was airing previously in that time slot? Or is there like a range that they would really be happy with? Well, I know that this was considered a very successful debut. I'm not sure exactly what the specific number projection is week to week, but I know that for the debut, we beat estimations. It was a very successful debut for AEW Saturday Night Collision on TNT. And going forward, I don't know what the exact number that would be considered uh, the projection week to week. I do know that certainly past performance of the time slot would be a good comp. I think we have high expectations, and we were really excited about the debut of Collision, and I think it's great timing for us. As you said, it's just a really exciting time for AEW with the launch of Collision and now Forbidden Door this weekend, and it feels like, at least to me personally, I feel like we've been on a great run of shows. I really liked the show last night and a lot of the things we did leading into Forbidden Door. I loved the debut of Collision, and certainly I felt like the Dynamite the week before that was also very, very strong and built anticipation and now with fight forever coming out and the summer is just going to continue to build we have so many shows i'm looking forward to and then of course all in london at wembley stadium so many big things happening uh so uh for me yeah it's uh it feels like there are a lot of great things and that number was considered a, a big success Going forward, I would say we just want to do the best we can every week. I don't know exactly what the right number you'd you'd consider a success would be, but like you said, I think it was looking at past performances of that time slot. You know, you'd see we've we've done very well with our launch, and I hope to continue doing good numbers on Saturday nights on TNT for Collision. Thank you. Thanks, Michael. Okay, so Rick Uccino from SB Nation, you're our go-home reporter. So you're up, Rick. 
All right. Well, well, no pressure on me. Uh, Tony, thank you so much uh, for getting uh, one more in here for me and uh, sure. really appreciate your time. Um, obviously there's been uh, a couple of big returns in the last few weeks. Uh, first Chris Statlander, you know, shocking the world, defeating Jay Cardgill. And now uh, CM Punk has come back, uh, both coming back from major injuries and both of them really kind of just diving into the deep end. Chris had five matches within her first eight days. CM Punk is going to have uh, three matches and hit every major show within his, within his first eight days. When it comes to handling a workload for, for talent, when they come back from a, a major injury and for these stars, their second ones uh, with the company. Do you have a set philosophy on that, or do you kind of take it on a, on a talent by talent basis of how much work they can handle out of the gate? Well, can you? So can can you out of the? Okay, that's a great question. Um, I think I, I think I got the gist of what you were asking there. So it was it's it's a very good question. Um, it certainly depends on the wrestler and the injury. I think as to the amount of work you want to have them uh, doing coming off a major injury and how quickly you rush them into multiple matches. I thought for both CM Punk and Chris Statlander, they're both great stars in AEW, and both of them had very different injuries, but they were both very serious injuries that kept them out for a long time. And in both cases, when they're available – we really want to get them in there and, and feature them. So Chris Statlander has been a major part of the TV and also out on the house shows defending her championship. And CM Punk now uh, has hit the ground running and is a major part of the wrestling again here in AEW. And he had a great return match last week in the trios match. One week later, he's coming back. And as you said, he's got two matches this weekend in Toronto. And that's great for us. I think when we have a wrestler coming back from an injury and they want to work their way back in, I'm not going to ask them to do anything crazy and wrestle, you know, three one-hour draws in the same day, every day, week in, week out. Uh, but I do think it's good for people to come back and, and get their uh, – you know, knock off any rust and give them the opportunity to hit the ground running, so to speak. And in the case of both CM Punk and Chris Statlander, I think they both come back and it's been a really positive experience for us. And now with Chris, you know, it was a big test for her doing the house show loop and, and then coming back and having another TV match after that. And for CM Punk, it'll be a great challenge, I think, going out and wrestling Saturday night this weekend on Collision, and then Sunday at Forbidden Door. Thank you. Thanks, Rick. Tony, um, before we close, any any final thoughts? Uh, no, I don't think so. It's been a really – I really appreciate it, Jim. I think we covered so much great ground here. I feel like a lot of the things I wanted to talk about, we had a great chance. Uh, it feels like there's a lot of anticipation for this weekend. I'm very excited uh, for it myself, I think. It's going to be a great rampage with some of the great stars from New Japan Pro Wrestling and kicking off the Owen Hart Cup Foundation Tournament. Uh, I think it'll be really awesome, as we just mentioned about Collision, to have that eight-man tag, as well as some of the big matches we've announced, Not in addition to CM Punk, FTR, and Ricky Starks versus the Bullet Club Gold, Jay White, Juice Robinson, and the Guns. We also have... Hiroshi Tanahashi, 
returning to AEW to take on Swerve Strickland. And I know Swerve uh, wants to get in the ring with Tanahashi, wants to prove he's the one who should be earning that world championship opportunity. And Swerve's one of our top stars. Tanahashi's one of New Japan's top stars. I think that's a great matchup for free on TV on Saturday night on TNT. And there's a lot of other great stuff on that card with Andrade El Idolo versus Brody King. And uh, so much to look forward to on the event. Uh, I know uh, the Owen Hart tournament continuing through the weekend is something I'm very excited about. In addition to launching the men's tournament with Punk versus Kojima at Forbidden Door. Very excited to have Sky Blue wrestling Anna Jay in her hometown tomorrow here in Chicago on Rampage. And then also to have on Collision Willow Nightingale versus Nyla Rose. And it's a big weekend for Willow Nightingale because she's wrestling Tony Storm for the AEW World Championship. And, of course, Willow herself being the New Japan Strong Women's Champion. It's a great AEW versus New Japan card at Forbidden Door, and that's a big part of it. And then Willow versus Nyla in the Owen on Saturday night. That's a really big deal. And uh, then for the tournament to continue with uh, Athena versus Billy Starks at the Zero Hour, it's going to be awesome weekend of wrestling in the Owen Hart Foundation Tournament, and, and I think an awesome weekend of wrestling across Rampage, Collision, and Forbidden Door. Um, so I'm just really pumped for the weekend, and it feels like uh, that's the vibe among so many of you in the wrestling world. And I just really wanted to thank all of you for joining us today for the media call. Without all of you, it wouldn't have been possible to launch AEW or to put together an event like Forbidden Door without all of you covering AEW and the idea of AEW from the very beginning. So thank you very much for everything you do. I really appreciate it. Hopefully see a lot of you soon at the Scrum or at a future Scrum. And if you didn't get your question answered today, I'm sorry. And hopefully I'll see you at a Scrum or, or get a chance to talk to you there because I really do try when people come in live for the pay-per-views and travel. I want to answer every question we can there. And I would love to have answered every question today. Um, hopefully we got most of your questions answered and thank you again and see you all at Forbidden Door. All right, Tony. Thanks a million. And just to echo what Tony said on behalf of everybody at AEW, uh, thanks for joining the call and, and we, we all, you know, truly appreciate your investment and commitment to the wrestling industry. <clears throat> so, you know, per our tradition, we're going to be distributing an audio recording to all attendees shortly. Be looking for that. Uh, we hope to see you this weekend in Toronto. And in the meantime, on behalf of everyone at AEW, we wish you the best of everything this summer and always. See you in Toronto. March through pro wrestling history with a PW Torch VIP membership throughout the week, every week. We jump back 18 years to our earliest podcasts. And you can march through our coverage of pro wrestling history with our contemporaneous coverage of all the major pay-per-views, Wade Keller hotlines with behind-the-scenes news, the Bruce Mitchell audio shows with in-depth current events analysis at that time, along with history lessons and strong opinions, the real deal with Pat McNeil with the Hot 5 Stories of the Week and the Indie Show lineup of the week, and more. Go VIP and relive wrestling history or learn about it for the first time as we continue to march through our 2005 library near the anniversary dates of when they aired 18 years ago on that date. To become a PW Torch VIP member, go to pwtorch.com slash govip and sign up today.
This is PW Torch VIP editor Wade Keller, along with PW Torch VIP analyst Todd Martin and Pro Wrestling Torch columnist Sean Radikin for the PW Torch VIP exclusive post pay per view roundtable covering AEW New Japan's Forbidden Door pay per view event, which took place earlier tonight, June 26, 2022, in Chicago, Illinois, at the United Center. They're live on pay per view, Bleacher Report, and in Japan. Uh, now they're streaming certain new trans streaming service. Welcome, Todd. Hi. And welcome, Sean. Hi, Wade. It's uh, great to have you part of this roundtable in particular, Sean. Um, often, uh, most often, we have Zach Cadorn or Rich Van on uh, after pay per views, um, and uh, they're at the event, and so we look forward to some of their in person uh, perspective uh, in coming hours and days. But I'm glad, uh, Sean, to have you here. This was a uh, as our sort of resident New Japan beat reporter more than anyone, um, it's great to have you on for this show. Uh, yeah, I'm excited to talk about it. So, um, Sean, did this t- set the table for what you expected from this show? And overall, did it deliver? We'll do some kind of big picture thoughts before we get into the specifics. Um, you know, given the build, I wasn't expecting a ton, but I, because of the you know, the wrestlers involved, I thought there'd be good wrestling on the show and there'd be some, you know, fun surprises. And it, it delivered about what I, it was, uh, it delivered about what I was expected. I wasn't expected to be totally blown away. And it was, uh, it started out really promising, but uh, it kind of ended up being about what I expected in the <laughs> end. Yeah, no, I, I, I know what you're saying as you say it. Uh, Todd, how about you? Yeah, it was, it was, uh, around what I expected as well. I thought it was a, a fun uh, wrestling show. Um, and so if you sort I think for a lot of people, it's sort of like, well, you know, like I sort of got over the fact that Bill wasn't was what I was hoping to be and sort of enjoyed the show. But at the end of it as well, it did have what I thought was sort of the foreseeable problem going into it, which is that you look at the lineup and they made matchups that didn't sound that consequential and you watch a show and it didn't feel a very consequential show. Um, for the first AEW versus New Japan show, in the sense that they set up a bunch of matches to avoid having people of consequence take falls, and people of consequences avoid taking falls. <laughs> and so, you know, you watch the show, and it was fun wrestling up and down, and a bunch of people who aren't protecting the booking lost, and nothing was really resolved. And you thought, well, hopefully we'll get you know matchups to feel more important next time around. So I, I thought that it, you know, it it had both the positives and the negatives that you would expect from the uh, the show uh, going in. I, I thought the crowd, uh, for the most part, most of the night, the vast majority of the night, elevated the show and made uh, matches and moments and wrestlers feel like a big deal in a way that uh, a crowd that was more there to see AEW wrestlers and didn't know New Japan uh, it would have taken away from the show. And so I, I think the co-MVP is the crowd, um, especially considering that it was nearly five hours. I mean, Todd, it almost lasted as long as this past Thursday's fix. 
<laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was it was it was a typical AEW crowd, which is to say that they were very hot for like the key things on the show, and it was also sort of up and down, where there were points where they were very hot, and there were points where they weren't so hot, and so you sort of noticed the up and down that might not be the case to, had they not gone as long as they did. But I mean, it's worth noting, you know, as you mentioned, like they were very hot for certain things. You know, they're hot for. Okada coming out, they were very hot for that, you know, Young Bucks match. Um, they were very hot for the um, a good portion of the Orange Cassidy versus Osprey match. But like the show closing angle, they were just sitting on their hands. Like <laughs> yes. they were, they were not reacting very big to the end of the IWGP World Title match. It sort of overstayed its welcome. Um, and you know, the last five minutes or so, it was kind of flat. Um, and you know, there are other points The Tony Storm match wasn't, um, that hot. So it was, you know, and that's not to like, you know, sort of single them out because that is the nature of these, uh, AW pay-per-view crowds, which is to say, if you go for five hours, it's very difficult to get people sort of hot for the entirety of the time. And, uh, that's what you see every time you see, uh, the crowd very hot at points and then other points where they just sort of sit down and, uh, decide to take a breather. And I think Tony Khan's got to be shocked and disappointed that he finally delivered a brawl at the end of an event. Uh, and, and the crowd didn't react. I mean, we've been waiting years for this. And and he finally delivered. And the crowd was just like, yeah. Uh, uh, Sean, um, your thoughts on the crowd and if any of the reactions surprised you or stood out to you? Um, I, I think Todd covered most of it. Um, you know, Claudio's Castagnoli did yeah. a tremendous pop. That was the... Uh, the biggest one that I don't think Todd mentioned, but you know, they were really good for the first, you know, with the pre-show and the first four or five matches. Um, it really stood out to me just how hot they were and the atmosphere they were providing. And then they kind of just tapered down for the women's match and some of the other stuff, but then they came back up and, um, you know, it, it's impressive for a show this long with so many things that felt in, inconsequential in the grand scheme of things that they were, so hot for what they were seeing. Um, and, you know, like the, like, uh, uh, the show closing angle, I was like, what, what the heck are they doing? You know, it's just like, I'm just like, why are they like, why another blood and guts brawling segment? Um, I mean, they just couldn't let, they just couldn't let the title match breathe and let it end on that. It's just, uh, I just didn't understand that. But otherwise, um, yeah, Todd hit everything. One other thing, too, that I just thought of, as Sean mentioned, the Claudio thing was the biggest thing. Another thing they reacted to, pretty big, that you would expect if they knew the story, but you wouldn't expect if they didn't know the story, was Shibata. And so that was encouraging because, you know, if if they hadn't reacted big to that, I think it would have been sort of discouraging for sort of the the nature of the story. But they did. Um, So that was cool, too. Did you mention FDR, Todd? Um, I did not, although that, they did is... not. Yeah, go, go ahead. Uh, I, I mean, the crowd was very into them on the, on the ring entrance. And then the the Dax leaving and coming back got a pop, but I also took the wind out of the sails a little bit too, I think, in the interim. Agreed. Yeah. All right. So uh, let, let's run through the show. I, I kind of debated how to go about this, um, but I don't think there's like just one overriding like main event that we should just get to first and really get into before we run out of energy. Uh, I think it's just best to kind of uh, review it chronologically and uh kind of discuss the ebb and flow of the show um with that in mind um in 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 that format so we'll start with uh the buy-in show the pre-show yoshihashi and hiroki goto versus qt marshall and aaron solo goto and yoshihashi win this one um uh, sean what would you think of uh of the pre-show opener I, i i thought it was fine um 
I wasn't expecting much, and because the crowd was so hot, it was fun to watch. Uh, I talked with Rich about this on Radican Worldwide um, the other day, you know, just about QT Marshall, you know, getting the spot in the, on the show over other acts, but the crowd really played into his heel stuff, so <laughs> it was, you know, I was like, well, I guess, you know, if that's the kind of reaction he gets, then um, I guess they can roll him out there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Todd, what do you think? Yeah, I thought it was a basic opener. I thought it was uh, fine for what it was, and I thought it was noteworthy as well that uh, Yoshihashi and Goto got uh, nice reactions from the crowd, um, which was sort of a uh, an indicator of, of what was to come. All right, then uh, Lance Archer and Nick Camarado. Archer wins in six minutes. Uh, Todd, is Nick Camarado a G1 Climax Tournament entry next year, as, as Kevin Kelly speculated he might be? Oh, I actually missed that line. Uh, I, that, that, would, I, uh, that seems very unlikely to me. Um, <laughs> I was looking at that, too. No offense to uh to, to, to Kevin Kelly. Um yeah, I mean it was short. It it was not a squash, but it was, you know, pretty one sided. I guess I was expecting it to be even more one sided than it was, but it the idea of this match was not to have like a strong competitive match. This was, you know, much more just put over Lance Archer, really more so than any other well, more than any other match with potential exception of the uh the ass boys match where they decided to do a two-on-four handicap match and they still won one cleanly yes uh sean uh, what'd you think of of this it was fine uh you covered the you know the line where i, I thought kevin kelly was really uh reaching deep when he said that he'd be in g1 nick camarado would be g1 next year um it, it was good showcase for lance archer you know he's the guy heading over to Japan for AEW. So I guess they just, the idea was just to put it over, G, you know, get some plugs in for G1 and yeah. showcase Lance Archer. And this did that. Yep. Do you remember when Hulk Hogan shocked the world and formed the New World Order? Or when Stone Cold Steve Austin passed out on the sharpshooter to Bret the Hitman Hart? I'm Torch contributor Frank Pettiani, and I've reviewed these shows and many more for my exclusive VIP podcast, Pro Wrestling Then and Now. Together with a rotating chair of co-hosts, we go back 10, 20, even 30 years, review pay-per-views from top to bottom, talk about where the wrestlers were at the time, and compare what took place then to what is taking place now. You get exclusive access to these and other podcasts as part of your PW Torch VIP membership, which is compatible with the Apple Podcasts app. Visit pwtorch.com slash govip for details and sign up for them. All right, then uh, Swerve Strickland and Keith Lee took on Kanemaru and El Desperado. The uh, match ended in about 12 minutes with Strickland and Lee getting the win. And then we got a post-match promo with Ricky Starks and Powerhouse Hobbs where we got uh, 80s Chicago Bulls and 90s L.A. Lakers references, um, which, you know, the United Center crowd reacted. No, 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 no. We, no, we don't. We got 90s Bulls and, and 2000 Lakers. Oh, yeah, you're right. I'm off by a decade. <laughs> you're right. Magic and Magic and Bird would have been the 80s references. Uh, I do stand corrected. Yeah, it would have been Magic so. and Kareem and uh, if it was the 80s Lakers. and well, Wait, no, you said 80s Bulls. So that would have, it would have been getting uh, uglier in the 80s. Yes, well, I, mean, no. I, guess they, I guess Pippen and, 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 and Jordan did come along in the mid-80s, but yes. Yeah. Um, no, and, and that's what tripped me up. But I, I, I'd say Magic and Bird, if you're talking about, oh, yeah, but then you're talking, they were talking teammates, not top rivals. So never mind. I'll, 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 I'll work on this and get back to you, Todd. Um, <laughs> so anyway, um, Todd, your, your thoughts on this tag match? Um, 
I thought it was fine. You know, it was not one thing I thought was interesting was a desperado in New Japan over the last year has gotten the biggest push of his career um, in terms of like being in, in, you know, in showcase matches, being the IWGP junior champion. And there's been at least I've seen some discussion about like how big of a star Desperado is at this point off of that. And it's difficult to tell in Japan because you've still got the clapping crowds. Um, And, you know, it isn't like this is the greatest test because, you know, America, it's not going to be, you know, necessarily the same as the Japanese market. But I did think that it it was interesting. The Desperado didn't seem to get a particularly notable reaction from the crowd in terms of the way um, he's perceived now after that push. And, you know, I I, I guess it's sort of, you know, the, the reason I bring it up is it, you know, it's been sort of an open question of how people would react to Desperado. As mentioned, he has been getting a push, but um, he's also a guy that was sort of in that mid-level or lower mid-level for a really long period of time, which I I was sort of skeptical as to how easy it would be to get people to quickly transition into viewing him as more of a star, regardless of the really good matches that he had, particularly a match with Romu Takahashi. Um about a year and a year and a half, maybe a year and a little bit less than a year and a half ago. Um, so that was not the greatest sign for Desperado, but I thought the match was, uh, the match was fine. It was a lot of stuff built around selling Keith Lee's size and then going after Keith Lee's knee. Um, so, you know, that was sort of the dynamic of the match. And I thought that the, uh, the promo you mentioned by Ricky Starks after the match was really nice. I thought he did a good job there. Uh, by the way, I would say the eighties battle, if we it would be Bert and McHale against Kareem and magic. Um, that just wanted to get that out there to solidify my uh, NBA analogy or suggestion if they were to go into the eighties. Um, uh, Sean, your, your thoughts on this match? Uh, yeah, it was. I, I thought it was good um, for you know for a pre, you know, for a buy-in match. I liked um, you know the showcase of Lee and Strickland as the odd couple, and they kind of strung it together. And I really liked the finishing sequence with the uh, Swerve's double stomp, the way Desperado got hung up, and then they, they went right into the Keith Lee's big bang catastrophe and kind of Mara for the win. Um, like, like Todd said, I was also interested to see how Desperado came out and he, you know, it's hard, you know, hard to tell here cause he's kind of just thrown onto the show and tacked into the buy-in. Um, but he's uh, been really good in new Japan during what's been kind of a down period for them, you know, since the pandemic started and in the, in, you know, like the, the clap clap crowd and so forth. But, uh, but overall, yeah, I, I, I like the, uh, the Strickland Lee and the you know the uh, dynamic between them is kind of fun to watch. So it was it was fine. All right, um, and then the fourth uh, of the pre-show matches. I packed a lot into that hour. Uh, Billy and Colton and Austin Gunn and Max Caster with Anthony Bones at ringside against the DKC or a bunch of guys. Todd, um, the DKC, Kevin Knight, Alex Coughlin, and Yuya Umero. Uh, Sean, what do you think of this one? Uh, I was just, well, the, you know, uh, uh, I, I was wondering what, what, the, what I was watching because I saw, um, Dan Housen come on the screen and then, um, the ass boys ran backstage to go after him. And then, so that left the, uh, the new Japan young lines at a four on two advantage and they lost to Billy Gunn and Max Caster. And I was wondering, to, you know, I was just wondering to myself, did, did they just, sign off on this and go out like was there literally any thought put into what this is accomplishing to go lead into the uh you know to encourage last minute buys or, uh, 
or, or being or present something exciting for the fans to say like, like oh hey this is going to be an exciting show to watch um just a, a very weird uh last minute presentation on the pre-show all right uh anything else of note uh todd from the pre-show in terms of any video packages or promos or anything like that well, I could give my thoughts on the match. You just completely skipped. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Well, you, you know what? I took. I actually took your chuckling as sort of an affirmation of Sean's analysis, but go ahead and add to it. <laughs> <laughs> I got a pretty good idea of what you thought just from that. Um, no, I, there wasn't a lot to say. I, I wasn't a big fan of the uh, the match as, as, uh, as you know, sort so of Sean outlined the, the shortcomings of it, the fact that it does the uh, – you know the, the the new japan guys no favors to lose two on four um and uh you know it, it, a few years down the line if you you uh yuya uimura ends up becoming a major star people may like sort of point to this like they point to the okada stuff in tna where you sort of are not really appreciating what you have um and then yeah. just putting aside like the fact that the um you know, it made them look bad losing this match two on four to Billy Gunn and, and Max Caster. Um, there's also just I thought that like the, you know, the, and granted it is the ass boy, so like it isn't like they're like a serious act. But the idea of them just like not being able to concentrate on their match and just wandering backstage to go find Danhausen because he played like a different song for them, it just kind of made matches seem kind of dumb and the product seem kind of dumb. I mean, that's that's the sort of thing WWE does all the time. But like to me, like. You know, if I'm thinking of AW as like an alternative, like I would like AW to be a product where people are like focused on their matches and don't go running backstage and leaving for the entirety of the match just because someone plays a song before the match. It's just sort of inherently stupid and I think contradictory to what AW should be, in my opinion. All right. Uh, so then we move to the main card Chris Jericho and Sammy Guevara and Minoru Suzuki against Wheeler, Yudaddy, Kingston, and Shota Umino. And Jericho and company won this one in 19 minutes. Uh, The advantage in Blood and Guts was on the line in this one. And, uh, yeah, I was going to bring something else up about it, but it just slipped my mind. So, uh, Sean, kick us off here on the main part of the pay-per-view. What stood out on this? What did you think? Um, I like this a lot. I thought I was kind of um, really – I was really impressed with Shota Amina here, and I I thought he really stood out for – despite being kind of a throw-in, like – he already is playing the part of it or looking the part of a star, you know, just, he looks new Japan main roster ready, almost just as his, his look. And he did really well here. And um, I thought the crowd carried this match and made it more interesting than it would be otherwise. Uh, just uh, um, in terms of, you know, what the action was and what the, re- and, and, you know, just the, uh, I kind of had to, you know, just that Jared, you know, Kind of knowing Jericho's team was going to win was a little anticlimactic, but I thought they did a good job at getting there with the him ending the match with the Judas effect on Amino. And, oh, yeah, just the, the one part I really liked was they did end up building in the history of Jericho and uh, Amino in New Japan when, he, when Amino was John Moxley's young boy and also Jericho abusing his father, uh, who was a ref in New Japan. So... I, I did like those aspects of the match, and it set up something maybe if, if – I don't know how far down the line it would be, but um, it would be – it's a nice uh, touchstone to go, come back to if uh, Umino ends up being what he uh, if appears to be on track to be. Cool. Uh, Todd, your thoughts? Yeah, and they did the angle later in the show where uh, Jericho threw the fireball in his face too. Right. So I think they're definitely planting some seeds for uh, to return to this at some point. 
potentially soon, but you know, also potentially later. Um, yeah, I really like this. I mean, this actually was one of my favorite things on the show. the The crowd was hot. I thought the work was good. The crowd was really into Eddie Kingston in particular, going after Jericho, but also his interactions with Minoru Suzuki. Um, I thought it was a very good match. As John mentioned, they gave. Umino a ton since he was losing in the end and really I, th- I thought he was sort of the, the well I don't know if I would say he's the focus of the match because they, they tried to get in a lot of stuff for different people but um, he was one of the, the, the foci of the match and uh, I thought he had a really good showing showing too like uh, like Sean mentioned so yeah I thought this was a, a really a really strong start to the show with some podcast memberships there's a complicated system of having to enter a username and password in advanced settings and it works on some apps but not others that's not the case with PW Torch VIP membership. We now have a slick setup where you're a single click away when you go VIP from having your podcast feed automatically generated on Apple Podcasts. All you need is an authorized VIP membership as soon as you sign up on our express sign up form, which takes about a minute. You'll get a link and you click on it and it opens Apple Podcasts and subscribes. No entering anything, no advanced settings. You can also subscribe on more podcast apps than ever other than Apple Podcasts, including Beyond Pod and Dogcatcher on Android and many others on iPhones and iOS. So VIP membership, it's more convenient than you realize. Get all the benefits of VIP membership, all the VIP exclusive podcasts, and these shows with the ads and plugs removed with a VIP membership. PWTorch.com slash go VIP. It's quick, it's easy, it's convenient, and we think it's worth it. PWTorch.com slash go VIP. Yep, uh, I agree. Uh, then, match number two, uh, FTR. United Empire, Jeff Cobb and Great O'Conn and Rapunky Vice, Trent Brett and Rocky Romero battled ROH tag titles and IWGP titles on the line in this three-way tag. Uh, Bobby Cruz did the ring announcing, which Kevin Kelly was excited about. Is that Bobby Cruz? Uh, Caprice Coleman joined the announcers on commentary. We did run an online Twitter poll asking for a prediction on how many announcers would be in the booth by the end of the show. Um, I think I gave pretty objective options. Uh, one to six announcers by the end got 17%. I think that ended up being right. Seven to 12 got 18% of the vote. 12 to 20 got 16% of the vote. Was it only was it only one to six? I would have to imagine there were more than six. At the end, but like Grant, at the end in the booth or at oh, the table. Oh, total, because yeah. by the end, I was thinking like by the end, there this many people have been in the booth total. Fair enough. Yeah, the question was how many announcers will be at the commentary table by the end of AW Forbidden Door? Um, if You're right. If I phrased it differently, I think we'd be at 7 to 12. The, um, the, the uh, 49% voted for, uh, they thought between 21 and 100 announcers would be at the table at the end of the show. They were way off. Um, so shame on you Twitter voters for... Uh, for, for overestimating um, how many announcers would be there. But anyway, so we had... Well, fa- did they cut to the mic, uh, the booth? Because, I mean, it's possible <laughs> they, they had them out there. <laughs> That's but they true. Just, you know, they only had so many headsets for people to speak into. I'll, I'll review. I'll, I'll review the footage. I mean, if do you think we could name 21 people right now who have done color commentary for AEW TV or pay-per-views? I mean, it would t- it would take effort to come up with them, but yeah. I think I think there have been twenty one people that have done commentary for AW. Yeah. So Regal, Jericho, Starks, Taz, Jr., Shivani, Kevin Kelly, Caprice Coleman, Excalibur. I mean, I just did nine in less than Big a Show, seconds. Mark Henry. Big Show, did Mark. Did you say Taz? I think I didn't. So now we're up to twelve. Golden Boy. Oh yeah, you're going way back. Uh, Thirteen. Uh, oh, uh, then Alex. Did Marvez. you say Marvez? Marvez. Yeah. Now, yeah, yeah, we're going. CM we're going. Punk. 
Wayback Machine. Yes, yeah, CM Punk we're up to 15. Um, oh, Hangman Page recently. Yeah. I don't know if we should. I guess we have to count guest, you know, just guest shots because it's not like they do that a ton. Britt yeah. Baker, Thunder Rosa, um, Ricky Starks. I did mention Ricky at the beginning. Okay. Because um, he's been a mainstay on Rampage. Well, anyway, yeah. Well, I, mean, I think I think getting up to 15, 16, 17 is pretty impressive um, and, and illustrative. Uh, okay, so let's see. What are we talking about here? Uh, oh, yeah, the tag match. Um, so FTR win this one in 16 minutes. Um, they did a spot where Dax hit a running elbow drop and then sold that he popped his shoulder out or tore a pec or I don't know. Something happened, and he uh, got seen, a doctor checked on him. He was He walked to the back. Um, I, I don't I remember if it's legit or not. It seems more let's inspired by Cody storyline based, but but I ha, I don't know. Um, but he did come back out later with his arm and shoulder and pec all kind of wrapped in black tape, and uh, made a, made a heroic uh, comeback to help FTR win. Um, yeah. So so Todd, what stood out here? What would you think of the uh, of the match? I thought the match was good overall. Um, I, I I do, and, and you sort of. Uh, mentioned this with the uh the crowd reactions but like i'm not a fan assuming that it was a work um which is my thought given how it played out um of working injuries like it's legit i know i know there's a mentality among some wrestlers of like liking to fool people but the problem is that when people are thinking that someone got injured legitimately it tends to take them out of the match and you saw that here where the crowd rather than sort of getting behind um getting behind FTR with one of the members out instead just sort of became sort of flat and, and, uh, and I think probably just concerned about what happened, which, you know, isn't the, uh, isn't sort of the desired effect. So I think you sort of outsmart yourself when you, uh, when you try to work people that an injury is, uh, is legit rather than, you know, you could do it in a way that would seem less real, so to speak. Um, but then I think what people would actually sort of, um, paradoxically be more into the match if you do it that way um i thought the match overall was uh, was good as mentioned i you know I, I wasn't a fan of what they what they set up with this match in general and it ended up playing out exactly as expected and the reasons why i didn't like it, it you know sort of played out that way which is you have the top team in aw you have the top team in new japan and then you just throw in a random third tag team to take the fall and of course they take the fall and by the end of it's like what was the point of that like you know the two tag teams didn't resolve who's the best and it it wasn't even like they threw in like a top contender you know like if they threw in you know um you know i know lucha brothers weren't available if you throw in like the lucha brothers or the young bucks or you know a legit top tag team then it'll be like okay you got the top you know the two top teams and you got like a you know really close third that's also one of the top people there and then if you like okay you got the top people here and then if you wanted to you know play on something where the champions wouldn't get pinned then it would at least feel less like you're just setting the whole thing up to have fall guys um but you know instead you put in Rapongi vice and yeah it just felt like you had fall guys in there and you know the whole thing was kind of pointless in spite of the title change so i wasn't a fan of the booking at all uh sean what do you think of that what do you think of the match and what todd had to say yeah i i, I agree it was kind of flat until um the Dax that came back after the yeah um, after the injury and um, it was flat and then of course uh, I I had expected that FTR would win and do the two titles gimmick so it seemed like destiny that Rapongi Vice was going to lose here but uh, the crowd was still uh, pretty good at this stage and carried the match and it was uh, you know a, a, a fun match in the end once it picked up. But uh, 
I don't know. I, I keep thinking why they keep doing this to uh, United Empire with these stars. They just lost the titles at, I think, at Dantaku in April. Won them back at, I don't know if I have my timeline right, but I know they lost them and then won them back at Dominion. I felt like it was even later than Dantaku. Maybe I'm I'm wrong about that, but yeah, it felt relatively recently that they are uh, even more recent. Yeah, they lost a, like a three or four way match and then won them back against Bullet Club at Dominion. So it's been well, either way, it's been pretty start and stop. When uh, I mean, I think Okaba and O'Connor, I, I've enjoyed them together, but I get what I get why they did what they did. But uh, a little disappointment to see the. Uh, I guess there's not much for them to do with the heavyweight tag team championships during the summer in new japan with the with the the g1 taking up the bulk of the summer so it, it makes sense uh sean what do you think of the the one team winning two tag team titles like uh they are trying to be gp and, and what do you think the end result is um i like it just to build you know build up ftr is like a, a big deal um you know it's a tagline they can use and um you know, I think eventually it'll set up, a, you know, maybe once it'll give something for um, Ring of Honor to do. I, I, I think, um, you know, they're probably running, I, I believe they're running a show sometime over the summer, I heard. So I think that'll lead way into a big title defense for um, FTR during, at the ROH pay-per-view since there's still no TV deal announced yet. Uh, Todd, what do you think the point was of of having uh, both belts on the line and combining them, and and what's the what's the trajectory of that? Well, I mean, I think probably in, in, to some degree they just want to have the um, the promotion sort of intermingling more. So having one of the, uh, someone from one company win the titles of a, from another company sort of advances that goal. Um, but besides that, they're also, as Sean alluded to, setting up what appears to be a program with. Um, FTR having you know multiple titles and the Bucks have the AEW title, so it makes sense that you would have a a match between those two teams later in the in the summer to sort of uh, you know sort of have sort of ultimate supremacy and and I think I know you're uh, you're not a fan of the idea of like multiple the same people holding multiple titles and I get the criticism but I think the idea is to sort of make it seem like you're you know you're really sort of taking over all these different worlds and it sort of makes you feel more important and I think if you do it the right way it can have that effect and I think that's the uh, the likely goal. I, I think I'm a little uh, jaded by the, the attempts of all the dying territories having multiple championships like you know the, the, the Super Clash and the AWA versus the Memphis-based USWA versus the World Class versus the USWA. It was just like there were all these times when companies were merging as in an attempt, a hapless attempt to make themselves seem more important. And and I do think in, in part that that kind of colors my vision. And obviously ROH isn't um, – it it's a different time period. ROH isn't really strong, but it feels like it's a, a little bit better of a of a brand in terms of its legacy than some of the ones that were sort of clinging on late in the eighties there into the early nineties. But then um, obviously IWGP title is, is, you know, very important. So, um, you know, every situation is different, but that does kind of color, color, color some of my negativity uh, towards that. And I think even in general principle, I would be too, but I'm, I think that adds, adds something to it. 
Need an extra dose of positivity in your wrestling podcasts? Well, come join me, Alan Forel, over in the Pro Rest Paradise at Peter Torch VIP as we bask on the bright side of wrestling and focus on some of the great matches and shows from around the world, be it the US, Japan, Europe, or Mexico. There's always a place for wrestling's past in the paradise too, and we've done fun historical shows such as the We Love Liger series, celebrating the glorious career of Jushin Thunder Liger, and our I Was There When shows, where our guests will join me to talk about a classic bout that they were in attendance for. We love variety, and you can expect lots of it at the Pro Rest Paradise. Detailed PW Torch VIP subscription information and a list of all the VIP benefits is available at pwtorchvipinfo.com. And yes, all VIP podcasts are compatible with popular podcast apps on iPhone and Android devices. Or you can stream them directly from our ad-free VIP mobile site. See you in the paradise! Okay, uh, let's see. Then we had uh, Miro, Pac, Clark Connors in Malachi Black. <laughs> it just feels weird saying that. Um, a four-way for the new All-Atlantic title. And uh, Pac won this one in 15 minutes to become the first All-Atlantic champion. Uh, Clark Connors turned out to be sort of a crowd favorite in this one. They really ended up going uh, going for the underdog uh, pretty deep into the match with a Let's Go Clark chant. And he brought a lot of energy. But um, in the end... Uh, um, Connors took the fall, uh, Todd. <laughs> your, Todd, your thoughts? I'll throw to you first on this one too. Yeah, I thought I thought the 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 action was good, crisp. You know, a lot of action all four ways. Um, Connors, as you mentioned, did well for himself. Um, you know, that you don't hear too many "Let's Go Clark" chants since the uh, <laughs> the the heyday of the nineteen eighty San Francisco Giants. Um, and uh, yeah, I thought I thought that uh, uh, you know the match itself was good. Didn't like the finish at all. To me, like. You're setting, you're creating this new title, um, in an effort to try to make this title feel important. Beat literally anybody other than Connors. You know this guy has no, um, you know, sort of name value to the average person. You know he's basically just a barely graduated young lion. He lost in the tournament qualifier to Tomohiro Ishii last week. Like if you want to try to make the title feel important, have Pac beats someone that feels important rather than beat the person in the match that feels literally the least important. Um, I thought that that was um, pretty cowardly booking, quite frankly. You yeah. know, if you're you're creating this title, it's already weak. You know, you want to make it as strong as possible, and instead they just take the easy way out. I thought it was um, it was bad booking. Uh, Sean, what do you think? I, I I feel like in AEW, no one, you know what I mean. They just don't beat it like wrestlers don't beat good wrestlers a lot you know when they're trying to build people up and this is another example like todd said this is another example that you're establishing this weak title and you know you you have a guy like miro coming back who's you know cuts this fiery promo in the video package and and again he comes up short and uh you know, this, the the star of the match ends up being the guy that wasn't even supposed to be in it. So, it, I mean, the action itself was good, but I don't think the execu- I think the execution of what they did for this title was very poorly handled. Uh, Sean, what what do you think of Clark Connors otherwise? Oh, I, I like him a lot. You know, um, you know, lots of potential. Um, 
you know, he's kind of, I'm not sure, I, I'm not sold on him one way. I, I just think he has a lot of potential, you know, just coming off his young, you know, his young Lions stint and, um, you know, seeing him in the New Japan strong side of things and um, elsewhere, he's shown he's good, but I thought this was his best best showing, to, you know what I mean, in terms of uh, a crowd reaction. Um, I thought he delivered a lot here for, uh, you know, for uh, for someone who was beaten the qualifier. I also thought Miro, for you know, given how over he has been, uh, had some time away, comes back, and now he's just another guy in in a good match, uh, but another guy in a match, and, and ended up not being involved in the finish. And it it just sort of it doesn't like uh, ruin Miro. It doesn't even necessarily hurt him, but it's a lost opportunity to frame him as something more special than he was last time he was around for a while. And this just sort of said, nope, he's going to be the same guy. And and maybe that's where Tony wants him, and if so, mission accomplished. But for me, it felt, feels like a little bit of a missed opportunity just putting him in here, but having it not really ultimately matter that much, even if the crowd is into him and he, he performed well. Um, so that, that was one of my takeaways from the match, too. Um, I was just going to say, you know, part of the reason – you know, the disappointment of Miro is because when shortly after Tony signed him on one of the, the post-show media scrums during the pandemic, he said it's going to be a long build and a rehab, and eventually I want to push this guy and make him a big star for AEW. And I don't know if his, you know, his mindset has changed since then, but it, it felt like a good time to maybe, like you said, kind of a time, to, an opportunity to pull the trigger and make something happen with him. Um, you know, it seems... You know, he Miro was doing the interview rounds this week ahead of the show, and you know he's got a new contract and talk about his creative freedom. And this just seemed like more. You know, he's done a lot of spinning his wheels or worse in his career, and this seemed like more. You know, more of the same. Yeah, uh, Todd, any thoughts on that? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm a big fan of Miro, so yeah, I could definitely see doing more with him. I, I'm hesitant to uh, criticize it too much, just because. As we've discussed, they have so many different options that, like, I, I don't know. I don't know. So, I mean, you just have to pick some, right? I know. So, like, yeah. I, I can't get too harsh on um, some of the people they're picking because, like, to me, like, they, you know, it isn't like there are a bunch of people being pushed in AW that aren't any good. So it's sort of, you know, a bunch of difficult choices. And I think, you know, as I've as I've mentioned, I think that oftentimes they seem sort of afraid to put over anybody, like really, like put them over, meaning have them beat other people of consequence, as opposed to just you know have them beat nobody's on television for six months. Um, so I, I would like to see more of that, but in terms of the selection of who those people are, I, I'm not going to you know criticize them too much for picking one person over another, just because they think they've got a you know a real you know a real host of of good options. Yeah. Do you, yeah. Can I just if 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 you think that though, do do you think they should have put more into Pac ahead of this match? You know what I mean? And you know they put a lot they put a lot of time into Miro, not a lot of time, but they did put some time into Miro's and some time into Malachi Black. But it just seems like you you know what I mean. It just doesn't seem like Pac has been much of a thought in the you know in the in the grand scheme of things. Uh, Todd, Todd, before I respond, I just want to be sure, Sean's new to this, and I just want to be sure you're okay that he broke protocol and someone asked you a question besides me. Uh, are you okay, Todd, with that? That I know. I'm, I'm fine with anybody asking me questions. Wait, in fact, I kind of like I kind of like that. Like, if we just come back, everyone just asks me what I think. It's sort of, you know, it, it, I feel like that. I can imagine that you p- like puts it. me over. Okay, so I, right. You I, didn't, you didn't play along with my bit, but you, you did affirm something we suspected. <laughs> 
Um, so in theory, what you're saying makes sense in, in the sense it's sort of like a potential issue in the sense that like if you're, you're creating this new title, right, and you're putting this new title on Pac. So in theory, that sounds like, okay, Pac then is somebody that's getting a push. So going into Pac winning this new title, you would want to give him some momentum so that it sets him off on a strong path for this new push. Um, the thing of it is... I'm not sure that him winning this title actually does mean he's getting a new push. Uh-huh. Like it's, okay. you know, they've got like 18,000 champions. So it seems to me, you know, I'd just be another person walking backstage that has a random belt around his shoulder. And this doesn't necessarily suggest he's getting a push. So if he's not really getting a push, then, you know, do you really need to get to give that television time to him given how many other options there are for that television time? Right. <laughs> Every Sunday night, catch Wrestling Night in America on PWTorchDailyCast.com, hosted by me, PW Torch columnist Greg Parks. Each week, I'll welcome a co-host from the Torch family to discuss the big shows in pro wrestling, taking your calls and emails. You can listen live most weeks beginning at 8 p.m. Eastern. On Sunday nights with a WWE or Impact pay-per-view, we go on the air at the conclusion of that pay-per-view. You can listen live, but of course the full show is available for download on demand anytime shortly after it airs. Visit PWTorchDailyCast.com and click the live stream link to find the next scheduled live show link. Search PW Torch in Apple Podcasts or your podcast app to subscribe. Wrestling Night in America every Sunday, PWTorchDailyCast.com. Um, then Tony Schiavone joined in on commentary, and, and I, I'm not like keeping track of all the announcers who showed up necessarily. But please uh, tell me that I imagined that when he sat at the table, he said, uh, and the other announcers welcomed and joked like, "Hey, where have you been?" or something like that. He goes, "Oh, I, I was backstage massaging Jr.'s legs, but I thought I should come out here." What is that about? Did I miss an inside joke that this is a reference to? Sean, do you know? I don't know, but that that has, I know they hang out a lot together and travel together, so it's got to be some kind of a I mean, joke. I know, I know Zach and Rich are hanging out together, but I think it would be weird if they just, you know, Rich shows up to a podcast with Zach and goes, oh, I was backstage massaging Zach's legs. You know, Wait, you didn't, you, didn't, you didn't see those photos on Zach's Twitter feed? <laughs> no. Is this just something I'm, I'm missing out? So, Todd, did you pick up on that? And do you have a theory why, why Shivani said that? I, I certainly expect that it's an, an inside joke that we just aren't aware of. Gotcha. Okay. Um, Taz did say that's more information than I needed. Um, although he was, and then they all laughed. Yes, heartily. Yes, yes. Although there was a point um, during the pre-show where Taz, more excitedly than you would expect, declared Sammy Guevara a sex god, and he was just so excited <laughs> to say it. And I'm like, I, I mean, yes, that's his nickname, but you just seem really excited that that's what he is. And so I, I felt that was a little more information than we needed from Taz. But um, anyway, so... We're uh, sort of going off in a weird direction here, but it, it, it does illustrate, I think, one thing One thing I like about AEW, um, in particular, honestly, you know, to get into this mode, relative to the data B, in the sense that it, it does feel like you've got a bunch of people out there that are sort of free to say what they want and to yes. do what they want. Yeah. And it leads to just sort of a more loose, fun environment. You know, like it, it yeah, it's weird, but like I, I, I certainly take that over sort of like robots that feel like they only have certain things they can say and they're sort of afraid to say anything yes. that'll get them in trouble. And, you know, it, it doesn't have the feeling of being alive. And, and there's sort of a vibrancy to all these 
these different people out there, you know, with their own different sort of takes and perspectives and, uh, you know, just sort of reacting in an organic way. I think it makes the show more fun. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I agree with that. Uh, there was a point where Taz said he had whiskey sprayed in his eyes once and it really stung. And then Excalibur quipped, yeah, I'm still sorry about that, Taz. And, <laughs> and that was funny, too. You know, Excalibur showing some personality there. I also like the point where, where someone mentioned, I forget who it was, but someone mentioned Minor- to not look at Minoru Suzuki. And he, he said it to Taz. And Taz seemed like a little bit like offended. Like, you know, like, I'm Taz. Come on now. And he said something like along the line of like, you know, like, I forgot what he said. It was like, I, I got like a black belt somewhere. And, and whoever it was, maybe like Excalibur, maybe Jim Ross sort of like backed up and was like, well, you know, oh yeah, it was Excalibur. Because, well, no, it was Excalibur. Whoever it was said, like, I don't want to get like blood on my jack. Maybe it was Kevin Kelly. Um, so they, you know, protected, uh, protected. I meant Caprice Coleman. Uh, feelings. Was it Caprice Coleman? We haven't mentioned I don't him. think it was Caprice Coleman. No, okay. I don't. Okay. All right. Just want to cover our bases there. Um, I, I, th- that was a joke because you like named everybody that it might have been as you were gotcha. like, hemming and yes. hawing, trying to trying to trying to uh, come up with that while making your your point that didn't really matter. Um, it, 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 How it's, dare you? It's, it's fine that you wanted to know. I'm just saying your point was so good. We didn't need to know who who it was aimed at or who said it. Uh, it's generic. I don't know. I, I said, but you know, didn't matter. Uh, comment. Yeah, it's too late to take it back. Okay, so um, uh, getting back on track here, we had Sting and Darby Allen and Shingo Takagi against the Young Bucks and El Phantasma. Um, let's see. Uh, uh, Shingo, Sting, and Darby won this one in 13 minutes. We had a little uh, a teaser with the lights going out and coming back on, and there appeared to be uh, uh, maybe Jeff Farmer in the rafters, and then uh, and then. The heels turned around and saw a, an outline of Sting projected on some screen, and then he leaped from a high place onto them and then landed hard on his left shoulder, but seemed to be okay, um, and popped right back up. Um, and uh, Shivani said, that's how a superstar makes his entrance. And, uh, yeah, so, so they wrestled 13 minutes. Uh, uh, Sean, uh, what do you think of this one? I thought it was really, you know, you know, good for what it was, what, about what I expected. I wish, um, I don't know, I felt like they were flying for, you know, just how good of a, you know, you have a wrestler like Shingo on, who's one of the best in the world, and it just doesn't translate in this type of, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. this type of environment with them, you know, they're breathlessly talking about him on commentary, but it just, you know, he didn't really get a chance to come across as as he does in New Japan. Um, that's or, the or in Alan's living room. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, I, I I thought well, you know, few few people go over that strong. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. But uh, yeah, I I, I like the stuff they did with Sting. You know, the no sell, the super kicks, and the the uh, double scorpion drop, and um, it was you know a fun crowd pleasing match in the end. Um, a little, you know, the the beginning was a little theatric, but that's you know. Kind of what Sting does, I guess. Uh, Todd, what you think? It was fun. I, I very much enjoyed the match. Um, I thought, you know, it had a lot of fun spots. Uh, they didn't overstay their welcome. Um, yeah, I thought it was just, uh, you know, very uh, enjoyable match. Um, I, 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 in particular, enjoyed the the spot that Sean mentioned of um, the Bucks doing the double super kick and Sting no selling and the crowd going crazy. And um, I also enjoyed Matt Jackson doing the uh, the biggest build up to a back rake I've ever seen. Um, he does he does that you know yes. to some degree where yeah. he does like the handspring elbow into like the back rake. But this one he did like this whole routine. He's jumping and diving. He's doing cartwheels and flips and back flips and it's just like he does all this stuff and you you know that it's building to the back rake. But he just goes on and on and on and on. And I I, I got a kick out of that one too. So yeah, I thought it was a fun match. It is worth noting 
ring again for um you know what felt like you know the fifth match in a row the again the the, the lowest guy in the totem pole took took the fall so um that was sort of the uh story of the show yeah the bucks were like feisty like they were just like yeah they just kind of brought the energy and the irreverence um uh both both matt and nick um especially early well just from 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 the beginning of the match um it, it carried over but especially early it was noticeable um sometimes nick can seem kind of moody or or going for a different vibe and he was uh he was he was in all in and, and matt had a lot of energy um do you, do you remember what tony we, we everyone said this was a fun match and i agree um do you know do you remember what shivani's favorite moment of the match was either of you Nope. All right. So late in the match, for those who no. didn't see this, Sting grabbed Phantasma by his nipples, or areolas, oh. as Taz likes to say. And then, while holding on to his areolas, as Taz would, Taz would say, he kicked him in the nuts. And Shivani, in, just like an emotional outburst, outburst, said, this is so much fun. And I was just like, wow. <laughs> we... poor, poor Phantasma. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, so... Searching for more great pro wrestling talk? Then join me, Jason Powell, host of the free weekly Pro Wrestling Boom podcast. Each week, you'll hear the latest news and analysis from me and my team at ProWrestling.net along with other pro wrestling media members. Plus, the Pro Wrestling Boom podcast features long-form interviews with notable names in the pro wrestling industry. Subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Downcast, and all your favorite secondary apps, or visit us directly at PWBoom.com. Once again, that's PWBoom.com. Then uh, they announced the return of uh, AEW to Arthur Ashe Stadium on September 21st for a uh, Wednesday show at Dynamite Grand Slam. And then that's when we had the, uh, the angle with uh, Matt Menard uh, and Angelo Parker and Chris Jericho with a fireball to Amino's face. Um, and uh, yeah, so anyway, then we had uh, Thunder Rosa and Tony Storm. Uh, Rosa wins this one to retain the title in about 11 minutes. Uh, Sean, what'd you think? I mean, it was it was good, but it just felt like the first match where the crowd, like, you know, was into it, but not the level of the previous matches on the card. And it just, I don't know, it just felt like Rose has been kind of flat since she won the title, and Tony's kind of just been a little bit hit and miss. But, uh, I mean, this was fine, but it just, um, it just, I don't know where Tony Storm goes from here, but it just felt kind of flat in the end. Um, you know, Rose just going over, and there just wasn't, you know, they had about 11 minutes, but it just felt like nothing really developed in terms of investing, you know, getting the crowd investment or getting Rosa back on track or getting Storm over as the force in the division. Uh, Todd, what'd you think? Yeah, I thought it was a good match. Um, as mentioned, the, the crowd was uh, was less into it than some of the stuff that came before, and the finish felt a little bit abrupt, but I still thought it was it was good for what it was. Um, yeah, and I, I think that if, if you don't want a, the show to feel like it's overstaying its welcome, um, this is one that makes sense to to cut back on because it wasn't, uh, I think, what most people, you know, to, tuned in to the show to see. So, you know, I think everybody was was content with it. Um, I don't know. It, it like it's it's it, in a way though, it felt like this Tony Storm and what she can be for AEW and what the AEW Women's Title should stand for deserved a bigger spotlight but it's a tough call because if you exclude it from the show if i don't know it feels like well shouldn't there be you know tony be criticized for it and maybe rightfully so 
Um, but it didn't really have a, a strong connection to the theme of the show otherwise. So it was just kind of, it just was sort of weird, sort of wedged in the middle of the show like this. And I, I, I it, it just fe- seems like the, the Storm Thunder Rosa match should have felt like a bigger deal. And I don't think it, but I don't think it should have on this show in this context. So just kind of mixed feelings about how this all came across, but I think it's largely forgettable. And it was just, you know, maybe that's, also, maybe that's ultimately for the better and they can wrap things up again. All right, then uh, Will Ospreay and Orange Cassidy as we get to the top matches on the show here. Um, Ospreay retains his title in this one. Um, this uh, best match of the night to this point, I thought. Uh, Todd, what do you think? Yeah, I thought it was a, uh, a, a good match as well. Um, you know, particularly down the stretch. You know, they did a fair amount of some of the Orange Cassidy, um, you know, silliness early. But, you know, going, you know, down the stretch, they sort of had some, you know, big near falls and some back and forth that I thought was, uh, uh, you know, strong stuff. So I, I thought the match um, on the whole delivered um, as you would uh, expect from Will Ospreay in general and certainly um, Orange Cassidy um, in spite of the, the limits of the uh, of the gimmick as a, a very talented wrestler in his own right. So I thought it was good in that front. And then, you know, the angle afterwards where, um, Aussie open and, and Osprey were beating up orange Cassidy and, and Katsuyori Shibata, uh, made the save was a, a really fun moment. The crowd reacted big just to the sound of the music, which was, uh, uh, sort of cool. Um, given, you know, Shibata hasn't even been wrestling that much, hasn't been wrestling that much. He hasn't been wrestling, uh, basically at all with the, you know, exception of the, a couple of exhibi- exhibitions. Um, so the fact that there was still sort of the awareness, they reacted as big as, um, they did to him was really cool. So uh, on, on the downside, you know, it, it did seem to be teasing pretty strongly a, uh, Will Ospreay versus Shibata match, which, you know, may not be the best idea, but um, given, you know, the state of Shibata's health and how close he was to to dying. But, um, you know, hopefully if they do that, they'll, uh, you know, they'll, they'll keep it safe. And uh, Sean, your thoughts? Yeah, I, I like this match a lot. You know, um, Cassie is an awfully good wrestler, you know, even though the gimmick has a lot of um, stuff that, you, you know what I mean? This kind of cutesy and, and, and stuff, but... Uh, I thought they made the best of it. I loved um, Osprey digging out the thumbs up before he delivered the uh, Stormbreaker in the end. And I thought they had some great, like like um, like was said prior. The, the finishing stretch was really good, and the um, I was surprised to see Shibata come out to set up something after, um, just because you wouldn't think you'd want to put you know the, someone like that in a match with. Um, Will Ospreay, um, just like Todd said, you know, I was just, I mean, it was a great, it was a great moment. You know, the crowd, you, you know, came alive for it. But at the same time, I'm like, how, how can this guy have a match with Will uh, Ospreay? I, I, yeah, okay, yeah, for sure. Going back to Orange Cassidy, it, I think, again, this is a case where the crowd, if the crowd was not into Orange Cassidy, both the gimmick and treating him as a worthy opponent, uh, n- not not necessarily buying he would win, but as a worthy opponent who they're glad to see against him. I don't think the match would have worked as well, but I think it was elevated by the fact that the crowd, knowing Orange Cassidy wasn't going to win, still popped and, and reacted emotionally, but in, in a way where my read on it, and I, I, maybe I'm just projecting reality onto my take on the reactions, but it seemed like they were popping, but they weren't like actually having that after effect after a kickout, which is like, oh my God, I can't, that, that, that could have and should have been the finish. It was more like, 
we're just sort of performatively popping because we know who's going to win, but it's sort of fun because they're telling a good story. Was that a cat? (laughs) (laughs) That was clearly not a cat. (laughs) Well, was it a lion? (laughs) Something like a car to me. Yeah. Is that on your side, Sean? That was a very loud car. Uh, sorry, that was a very loud car going by my house. I was going to say either that or Sean's stomach is rumbling or something. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Which, if that was the case, I would just go with a car drove by, a loud car drove by, Sean. Um, what that was said. So, yeah, so I, I felt like I, my take is the crowd re- was very in Orange Cassidy. They pulled themselves into the match and just sort of allowed themselves to be wrapped up in the moment, even though intellectually they knew. Um, what the outcome ultimately was going to be, and if you're, you know, if you're, if Orange Cassidy's gimmick feels like it doesn't belong in the ring at a match of this level, because uh, his gimmick is polarizing, it's going to hurt your take on this match. But I think ultimately, if, if you if you edited out the 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 Orange Cassidy gimmicky stuff and just played the match otherwise, it it felt like a serious, hard hitting title match, and he is capable of that and has shown himself capable of it, uh, not necessarily at a world class level, but at a very good level, and so. I, I like this. I like this match a lot, and I'm I'm tolerant, um, at least tolerant, and probably more so of, of Orange Cassidy's uh, gimmick, even in a circumstance like this, within reason, where it doesn't go too far, where there's a major title on the line, and it seems like you're more trying to get over your shtick than actually win a match. And he treaded into that territory light, but but uh, late, but didn't go so far into it that it took me out of it. Um, either of you, anything else on this? I mean, if I were going for a title, I wouldn't start the fight with my hands in my pockets. That's just me. But but, but he was. But as the announcer said, he's trying to get in Osprey's head. <laughs> if if a UFC fighter tried to get in the guy's head by sticking his hands in his tights and trying to fight that way, I don't think it would go too well for him. That's true. But how many wrestlers on this show said, "Hit me, give me your best shot," and absorbed it, no sold it, and then fired back, and then still didn't raise their arms or try to block a punch, and also allowed someone to punch or punch or hit or elbow them in the head. That wouldn't go well either. I mean, there is some. We all draw our li- our line of uh, of uh, 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 literary license. What's the word I'm looking for? Creative license. Artistic. Artistic. Creative. Artistic. artistic. Yeah. yeah, artistic license. Thank you. Um, in different places, in different ways. Um, Ross at one point said Osprey hasn't peaked yet, um, which just sort of felt like Ross trying to say things because Osprey probably is about at his peak. I don't think he's going to... He's very good. He's probably not going to get a lot better. Uh, but then he said, nor has Orange Cassidy. It's like, Orange Cassidy's going to be like 40 years old in a year or two. <laughs> like, you know, Orange Cassidy has peaked. This is as... No offense, but this is as good as Orange Cassidy's going to get. He's damn good, um, gimmick aside. And he is not this 27-year-old kid or 24-year-old kid rising up. Um, so some, sometimes Ross just feels I, like he's saying stuff. I will defend JR. I think I think Osprey might not have peaked. I mean, he's okay. he's improved a lot just in the last like year and a half to me. So uh, there's there's room for growth, I think. Still, <laughs> fair enough. Are you going to defend him on the Cassidy one? Because that was my my more main objection here. Um, no, I won't. I won't. I won't, uh, I won't uh, uh, take up the uh, the argument there. You're equally pessimistic about Orange Cassidy's upside. No, I'm kidding. Support us on Patreon starting at $4.99. Get these shows ad-free and bonus VIP content. That's $4.99 on Patreon. Patreon.com slash PWTorchVIP. That's Patreon.com slash PWTorchVIP. That is the quickest, cheapest, and easiest way to support us and enjoy these shows with a streamlined listening experience. The Wade Keller Post Shows, Podcasts, and the PW Torch Daily Casts, plus some random VIP bonus content. 
we had uh, Zack Sabre Jr. against the mystery opponent, Claudio Castagnoli, the former Cesaro, uh, the former Antonio Cesaro, if I recall right. Um, Zach... I knew he looked familiar. <laughs> yes. uh, Zach came out first, and then uh, when Claudio's music played, fans popped. And when Claudio actually walked onto the stage, the crowd went bananas. And Claudio just stood there and smiled and soaked up the moment. Um, I, if I'm Claudio, I, I won't get too high on, on, on that moment, though, because, you know, that all, Jay Lethal got a similar reaction at all. Not quite at that level, but not, but not that far off. And he's just sort of, you know, in the mid card and not on Dynamite much. Um, I think Claudio's got a better future. Uh, Excalibur said 16,000 fans were losing their minds. And then it was just a love fest for Claudio in the crowd, in the ring, in the announce booth, lots of uppercuts. Um, he did uh, uh, sell a, a, a right arm, well, not sell. He had a right arm injury apparently during his first um, uh, giant swing and uh, didn't want the ref raising his right arm. It's possible to work because, you know, people like him can sell that all the way to the end of a match, but he's got a history of, of issues with that. Uh, but anyway, Claudio won in 18 minutes. Um, uh, Todd, why don't you go first? What'd you think? I thought it was another fun match. Um, I thought they, uh, they worked well together as you would, uh, you would expect. I like the tease at the beginning with, uh, Claudio hitting the neutralizer right at the beginning yes. and you're thinking, Oh wait, wait, maybe he's going to win this thing quick. And then Zach kicks out. Um, and we even got the old Ricola bomb at the end, which I was uh, amused by as well. Um, as you sort of mentioned, Wade, we've seen a lot of people debut in AW, and you know that that's sort of been a big thing carrying the promotion through. It's like people reacting really big when you get the next debut and the next debut and the next debut. So it's sort of become a part of the uh, the thing is the excitement over seeing the new person in the promotion. Um, so we'll see how that uh, follows through. But certainly people were very enthusiastic to see Claudio here. And of the options that they had, I think he definitely was the one that fit the best into the Black Bull Combat Club. That just feels like a great fit, him and Danielson and Moxley and Regal, just, and Wheeler Yuta, obviously, as well. Um, I think that's just a you know great fit together. I think they should do stuff. Maybe it was just my imagination, but Claudio seemed less muscular than the last time we saw him, which, if I'm not imagining it, I think is a good sign because as he gets older, he doesn't need that extra um, upper body mass and as you mentioned way that can lead to more um well you didn't say this explicitly but i think it was sort of implicated by what you said it can lead to more injuries so if um that is you know not just a temporary thing um i think that's a, a good thing for him uh moving forward and uh i, I enjoyed the match yeah a change of pace here as you would expect with zach saber jr and claudio for that matter uh sean what do you think um yeah i agree with most you know what todd said he got a, a great reaction um, you know, coming out and he was just, you know, he fit the bill for what Danielson promised. And the, I, I really enjoyed the fast start and I thought Sabre did a good job of dialing it back in and giving us a match, um, you know, close to 20 minutes. And yeah, I, I really liked this. It was a good debut. He, he fits in with the, uh, the black blue combat, black blue combat club. And, um, it's a, it's a good, you know, it's, it's a good, good get for AEW. I think he's someone who was really valuable to WWE and could have even, you know, possibly gone back at some point and, you know, made a lot of money playing a role similar to maybe a, you know, Kevin Owens or a, a Sami Zayn at some point if he had chosen to go that route. So it's, uh, it was, it was a good get for them on the show. 
Uh, Sean, what is Claudio's upside in AEW at this stage of his career, knowing what we know about Tony Khan's booking, the the landscape of the roster? And, I mean, you've been following his career as long and closely as anybody, and you've seen every stage of it. What Now that he's in a new environment, even at his age and with the, the damage done to a degree in terms of um, although the crowd reaction tonight would, would, would indicate at least the fans who are attending this show aren't holding it against him, um, that some damage done in terms of, of how he was pushed and, and the ceiling he hit in WWE. Um, I see him, you know, he could be someone with a, a good TNT championship run and cha- challenging or perhaps holding the AEW World Championship at some point. But I think he's just very good for, you know, matching up with different wrestlers because he, he works well with just about any any style, particularly with most of the AEW, you know, small a lot of the smaller guys AEW has. He's going to have tremendous matches. So, you know, Tony can use them just about any way and slot them, and he's going to deliver on TV and pay-per-view. And, um, yeah, I just think that's pretty much his ceiling. I think, uh, you know, at his age, probably with the way Tony cycles guys in and out, I think that's, you know, we'll see him you know, a lot at first and then kind of cycled on and off, I guess. I mean, if that's a, if that's an, if that's a good observation. Yeah. Uh, Todd, what do you think? Uh, as far as upside, I'd say, uh, you know, uh, secretary general of the EU and uh, takes <laughs> over the mission impossible franchise after uh, Tom Cruise retires. <sighs> What's your uh, guess on, on what Claudio's role is in, in two, four and six months, Todd, within this company? Um, I think he'll be a guy that regularly gets on television. I don't think he'll be one of the people that disappears. Um, if for no other reason that then the Blackpool Combat Club is a pretty featured act right now, and you know he can do tags and six man tags and whatnot with them. Um, as you know, after the Blackpool Combat Club runs its course, whenever it does, um, I'm not sure what they would do at that point. Um, but I, I tend to think he's a guy. And granted, there have been a lot of people I thought this way, but I think he's less likely to get lost in the shuffle than others just because he's so talented. Um, it, well, I mean, I guess that's true of a lot of people, but he's so talented in the ring. I think you can really have him do a lot of different things. I think I think um, Tony's going to enjoy having him as a piece that he can you know, play in different ways. And if you haven't heard, Todd, he's well-respected in locker rooms all over the world. <laughs> yeah, they, they were really hammering that. <laughs> they were. Um, uh, very good alright uh, then we had uh, Switchblade Jay White Adam Cole Hangman Adam Page and Kazuchika Okada in a four way for the IWGP title and this one went 21 minutes when, um, <laughs> when there was a very unfortunate uh, closing sequence I shouldn't chuckle because um, it seemed like some as, as they used to say in the 70s and 80s bells were rung um, and there was confusion Cole ducked a rainmaker and then uh, Jay White, uh, a couple seconds later, just went over and rolled him over and pinned him. And it was, as Jim Ross uh, felt compelled to say, and I don't blame him, acknowledge the obvious. He said, I would call that a little bit anticlimactic. Um, and uh, <laughs> the cover story, which is a <laughs> bit of a stretch, um, was Cole just wasn't prepared to get pinned at that point. He just, there was so much going on, he didn't even know he was being pinned. And that's why he didn't kick out even though he actually had not um, been hit with a, with a finisher. Uh, doctors tended to Cole afterwards. They did some replays. Um, and during the replays, Excalibur said Cole was leaving on his own. Um, so they're kind of updating us there. It also seemed like Okada uh, was, was a half step off, and there was just some more than a half step off at times, maybe three-quarter step off. Um, and there was like a push into the ropes, and he sort of stopped and then started and then 
rebounded himself into the ropes and he um Cole was supposed to stand up and didn't really and then um Okada's kind of maybe it was white someone was getting behind someone and lifting them up and it was just just the last like two minutes was just awkward um and and not smooth uh before that though um uh, some definite good action and the crowd very much into the uh moment of Okada just standing in the ring chanting holy shit at the beginning Okada smiled and acknowledged the chant um the heels kind of bailed out let Okada and Hangman face off and there was a respectful handshake and fist bump and as they're about to uh, lock up the heels, uh, Cole yanked Hangman to the floor, and then White attacked Okada. So we kind of got in the heel face, heel face matchups. Um, and then there was a lot in between for 20 minutes leading to that disappointing finish. Uh, Sean, what'd you think? Um, yeah, it was, it was, it, it started off slow, you know, it was kind of like two on two with the heels and the faces. And then, uh, you know, Cole turned on Jay and they stopped working together and then it kind of picked up. I thought, Hangman Page looked really good, and I thought um, it was on its way to being a pretty good match, minus the you know the last two minutes, and then it just it kind of petered out and kind of felt like one of those old Ring of Honor, uh, you know, where the Ring of Honor would get the IWGP title brought over, and they'd kind of just you knew who was going to win, who was going to lose. So, but it, but not exactly like that but uh had good heat with this crowd and it felt like a big deal so in that case in that sense it worked but just the you know the finishing sequence and the confusion um you know with what happened i mean it's just uh it's just strange to see white throw okada out and then just cover cole who hadn't really had anything done to him you know so it's just a unfortunate situation with cole you know getting looked like they had to just go to the finish with him hurt like that. Thank you for listening to the Wade Keller Pro Wrestling Podcast. Don't forget to also subscribe to our Red Logo show, the Wade Keller Pro Wrestling Post Shows, featuring our live post shows, which you can download and listen to on demand at any time, covering Raw, Dynamite, and SmackDown throughout the week. With rotating guest co-hosts, live callers, and emails, plus on-site correspondents who talk to us Right after they leave the building on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday nights, that's the Wade Keller Pro Wrestling Post Show. Just search Wade Keller, look for the red logo, and click subscribe. It's free. I, it's, it's also possible Cole just forgot that he was supposed to take the Rainmaker when he ducked, and he was so embarrassed he just pretended he got a concussion um, to cover for it. There's an outside chance of that. It just, it was, I haven't watched it back, but, um, but from... What what I did see and what they re- well maybe I did watch it back once now that I think about it, um, but it was just a mess. Uh, Todd, uh, your thoughts on this? Yeah, I thought the match was was good overall. Um, you know, sort of early on it was sort of your billion moose match where they're sort of hitting stuff back and forth and different people come in and you know sort of your four way action match and the crowd was speaking and it felt like it was building to a uh, you know a you know your typical good four way match and then. Um, People got kind of tired at the end, and then you know there were some issues with the uh, the the match as well, apart from just the crowd sort of petering out um, that uh, were mentioned. And so yeah, the match didn't end on a uh, on a high note. Um, and you know things were not going so well even before the little f- finishing sequence there. Um, on the positive side, I thought the stuff with um, with uh, Okada and Hangman Page was good. I mean they teased that a bunch of times, so. You know, you know, at some point, clearly they're going to go to that. And I thought that they did a nice start of the tease there um, for people that are aware of it. Um, 
another good thing is, is Okada got a, you know, pretty massive reaction from the, uh, the crowd. So, um, a lot of enthusiasm for him. It made him seem like a star. I was a little disappointed that they didn't make it rain for Okada. Um, but huh. yeah. you know, so it goes. And then I was thinking about this, this afternoon, cause we talked about this match on, on Thursday, um, when they had made it the night before. And so I hadn't really sort of thought it through. And I, I I'm not a big fan of like, again, the, the four-way IWGP title, I think it just sort of, it just doesn't seem as interesting and I think doesn't get people as involved or infuse the same stakes as just doing a one-on-one match with a New Japan guy and an AEW guy. But I was thinking further about it, and there's something that, that I think is even more problematic than the handling of the IWGP title, which is Okada. Like, to me, like, I mean, Okada is the guy in New Japan, and for people who already know who he is, it doesn't matter as much. But, like, this was likely the introduction of Okada for a significant portion of the AEW crowd. And, you know, he's just in this four-way match where, you know, somebody else takes the pin at, at the end. And, like, that's fine if it's just sort of one of, like, you know, a hundred people. But, like, Okada's Okada. Like, Okada really should have been a point of emphasis. And I was thinking about this afternoon. They, they, to me, like, this is an important thing. Like, they really should have put Okada in a singles match and just had Okada win. So that, you know, you got the big reaction. People are like, oh, Okada's a big star. Okada beat somebody of import. And it signals for people, okay, this is, like... You know, you may not have to have the IWGP title right now, but this is like the big ace of New Japan. And at some point, this guy going against one of the, the AEW guys is going to be a really big deal. You know, an even bigger guy than they had him against. Um, and, you know, the, the if, I, I am a big believer in the, you know, in the, in the, um, you know, the, uh, the, the, the old, you know, the old thing about, you know, first impressions. Yeah. Um, and to me, like Okada being introduced to the AEW audience should have been in a much more impactful way. And, you know, the more I was thinking about it, the more strongly I felt about it. And so, you know, it's, it's a missed opportunity and you can still do more to build Okada later. But um, yeah, I feel, I feel pretty strongly about that, that Okada should have beaten someone in a singles ma- on one of the, you know, featured matches on this show in a singles match. Uh, this does not play against, I think the impression that, that you have, uh, manifesting and growing on uh, in terms of Tony Khan's approach to booking. And it doesn't seem like this is a philosophical difference as much as just a criticism of him doing something that isn't, I don't think you can really argue in favor of other than you can explain why Tony does this, you know, well, here's why he did it, but it doesn't excuse it or justify that in the, you know, semi big picture, there's any argument that it's a better way to go about it. Um, and, and I think this is just another example of that, Todd. Another example of uh, sort of a disappointment in, in Tony stepping back sometimes from uh, trying to fulfill a moment, but paying a big price in terms of of the tr- where where a wrestler how, how to how to increase the star value of a wrestler within AEW in, in a long over the longer term. Uh, Sean, what, what do you think about that? Yeah, like I, I, I said, um, you know, earlier I said a lot of the time. You know, top guys don't beat other top guys on their way to, you know, big moments. Like, uh, Moxley beat, I think, um, Dan- who was, I, th- it was, I forget who he beat, but it was someone who, uh, you know, clearly lower on the card. And all of a sudden, Tony's hyping him as the new number one ranked competitor. The, oh, the Battle Royal Kyle O'Reilly, is, I think you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Oh, is that it? Okay. But um, it just. Well, is, uh, that, is that not it? No, I'm not, no, I'm not sure. No, I was just talking about before the yeah before the battle royal uh, on that Friday night on Rampage when they hatched the um, you know the Eliminator 
What? Dante Martin or someone else? I think that was it. it was it was Moxley's win the yeah, yeah it was Dante. Before. Yep, Dante. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Like, uh, I, I I talked to Rich about this. It's like you know Alabama beating you know Tennessee A and M or something, and you know they shoot ahead of someone. You know they shoot to number one, and you know what I mean. It's like someone just beating a soft non-conference opponent, and all of a sudden they're championship worthy. Um, Instead of building yeah. the resume by beating true contenders in the, you know, in the, you know, getting ranked and being true contenders, like, it's just like, I was just thinking to myself, like, like, it just does, it just, you know, it doesn't help that AEW doesn't have, you know, you know, people beat, you know, anybody really, it seems like they're building them up and they just build up these puffy records and then they become champions and, you know, like Todd said, it would have been nice to have Okada showcased and just beat someone instead yeah. of being in the four-way and, and there's other situations. But just, you know, my take on it is, that, you know, the way the rankings work, it's just, um, you know, a lot of it's just like really unsatisfactory in terms of, uh, you know, if you're going to build someone up to be a contender, at least have them, you know, build their resume ahead of time. Yeah. But by the way, one other point on this, I, when I was sort of, Thinking about it, I was also looking at the um, at the ROH New Japan G1 Super Card at Madison Square Garden because I, I didn't remember what they'd done on that card, and so I was sort of looking at it for sort of like comparison to um, what they did tonight. And the top matches that New Japan put on in that show, which was sort of like another sort of key introduction to the U.S. audience, the matches they had that night were Okada versus Jay White, Kota Ibushi versus Tetsuya Naito, Zack Sabre Jr. versus Hiroshi Tanahashi, and Dragon Lee versus Taiji Shimori versus Bandito. Those are like the biggest stars against each other. Yeah. Like that, that to me is like what a major card that's introducing a product should be. And that was what New Japan's choice was. You know, they matched up their biggest junior heavyweight stars, their biggest heavyweight stars. Like that was the best against the best. And you watch this show and it's you know, very little of that, you know, really the only one you can sort of argue that way is Moxie versus Tanahashi. And, you know, as I've told you a bunch of times, Tanahashi is a guy that isn't really that fiercely protected anymore. He's not, you know, he's not the equivalent of like what a lot of those guys were a few years back that I just mentioned. And, you know, it it just makes for a feeling of less significance to what's going on when you're purposefully avoiding, you know, the matches between the top people. And I blame the fans of Chicago for selling out United Center so quickly and Tony Khan then going, well, I don't need to give away those matches. But the G1 Supercard sold out, you know, very quickly, too. And I don't think they announced all those matches ahead of time, did they, Todd? I don't think they announced any of them. Yeah. Because yeah. so, remember remember the G1 Supercard, they were expecting the Bucks and Cody and... Uh, yeah, it was, yeah. Oh, it was right. over yep. a year ahead of time. Yep. <laughs> yeah, so no matches were announced and, and, and they still decided to deliver. So, um, yeah, Tony has no excuse. All right. Um, and I... It, Guess I can't blame the fans as much given that precedent. I mean, the only thing is, back then they ran like very much was a split card, you know. With our, you know, just it was like half of the card was ROHs and half of the card was New Japan. You know what I mean? So, yes, yeah, so I left out the ROH portion. That was <laughs> yes. it was a little lopsided there. <laughs> the top ROH match, by the way, for people who don't remember, Matt Taven versus Jay Lethal versus Marty Skrull. Oh so, God, that was their contribution. God. Wow. Aloha, Torch Faithful. This is Kelly Wells, host of PWT Talks NXT. Every Thursday, you can hear me and my gang of idiots, Tom Stout, who shares thoughts from the live tapings, and Torch recapper Nate Lindbergh, 
as well as a rotating cast of guests, cover the matches and events in NXT Live on USA Network. Search PW Torch in Apple Podcasts or your podcast app to subscribe, or listen on demand and see the entire PW Torch Daily Cast schedule at pwtorchdailycast.com. Cheers! Uh, by the way, uh, in, in terms of the New Japan uh, English-speaking talent uh, th- who, who were introduced to some part of the AEW fan base during the stretch, uh, who's made the best impression? I, I mean, we could even include all the New Japan talent, too, uh, in terms of just carrying themselves that in a way and, and having an opportunity to convey themselves in a way to that AEW audience that aren't New Japan uh, close New Japan followers. Who do you think shined the most uh, at this point, Sean? I thought Jay White, you know, yeah. just got, you know, far and away, you know, um, got a chance to shine. I, I, I mean, just uh, others seem to get very limited talking opportunities outside of the special they aired Friday night. Um, I, I think but, Will Ospreay and Zack Sabre Jr. have done fine. Oh, yeah, yeah. But not, they didn't get, but, but, they didn't but get a chance to talk. Yeah, Jay White was my answer though. I just I think he's yeah. got kind of a he, he there's a, a a sort of this nonchalant bravado that he has that has translated or he's been, just been given the opportunity in AW to do it. Whereas you know Zack Saber obviously is, is is probably a distant third to even uh, Will Osprey, but Osprey's just you know been thrown out there in matches and he can project his personality in the ring. But White's had more of a chance to do that uh, on the mic. Uh, Todd, uh, how about you? And are we leaving anyone out? I don't think there are a lot of candidates in the sense that, like, you know, they've mostly just sort of given given passing introductions to people. So I don't think if you weren't familiar with um, any of these people before they debuted on television that really any of them would stand out to any particular degree. Um, but my choice would actually be Tanahashi, not because they let him do anything particularly special, but just because consistently throughout the build, they presented as, him as somebody important. You know, like mm-hmm. the announcers are consistently saying, oh, this is a real legend. You know, Moxie was talking about him as this legendary figure. Like he did that stare off with, um, you know, Moxie at the end of the, uh, of the end of show on Wednesday for a long time. And then they had this, you know, sort of long match where at the end people are sort of rallying behind Tanahashi over Moxley. So just based on sort of his positioning, I think he probably would stand out more than anybody else if you weren't familiar with them. One of the questions on this match, uh, Hangman Page and Adam Cole, who came across better and why, Todd? Hangman Page and Adam Cole. Oh, Hangman Page, I thought for sure. Me too. Uh, why? Yeah. why? Oh, just because it, it's sort of a leading question into, I just think Adam Cole, well, he didn't look like he didn't belong in terms of like, you know, the wrestling, but for being a guy who was a leader of faction in NXT and um, a guy who's been a centerpiece heel, AW Booking hasn't done him any favors. He hasn't done himself favors with his, you know, whatever creative control he has. But I just, I felt in this match, if you were watching, you didn't, you came away not imagining Cole being anywhere close to a main event centerpiece heel or babyface for AEW anytime soon. And I thought this match added to what I think was the direction his character was going anyway in terms of that that perception. Um, this wasn't a moment where he just rose to the occasion or shined. It's like he didn't he didn't look like he didn't belong in the ring, but he looked like the fourth biggest star in the ring 
and he's kind of shrinking in the moment a little bit. Uh, it's it, what do you think of that, Todd? I agree with you. Um, yeah, I think his I think his uh, AW run has been a uh, a pretty big disappointment, and I, I'm not even able to put my finger completely on on what it has been. I, I I will not. I mean, I don't think the booking has helped him, but I will not put it all on the booking, and I also won't put it all on him. I don't feel like he's like done like these like where I can just point and say like this is a terrible decision. What were you thinking? It's just there's something intangible that I think is is just not working correctly, and I'm not even sure why. As somebody that you know, as, as you know, Wade has been a big fan of Adam Cole for a very long period of time, but you know, I find myself watching this television and thinking, man, I, I wish you were managing Keith Lee. <laughs> no, maybe maybe not that, but you know, you I was going to say that. like you're eliminating. <laughs> blaming the booking you eliminated blaming adam cole i was wondering like are we gonna play miz for this or um vince mcmahon maybe but you know vince isn't not culpable uh entirely uh sean what do you think of that discussion you know i think it's been part booking and i just i wonder if he's injured and working through it um there's another part of it he just just doesn't see himself in the ring and you know he lost even though they say it doesn't count he lost the few to orange cassidy lost his matches to hangman page so he's been you know, clearly established a peg down beyond a couple people, the top guys on the roster. Plus, uh, you know, Jay White even pointed out his losing record to people in the match. You know, well, specifically, you know, Hangman his record against Hangman Page, and he said, if you lost to him, he's zero and two against me. So it's like it's like, wow, this is really not doing Adam Cole, you know, his Jay White's friend, any favors here. Um, but yeah, he just he just. Um, does not seem. I mean, this is not the guy I saw in you know ROH and NXT. Yeah, and he's not even good at faking it well. Like if he's injured, like you can fake it. You know, I mean, you can still have yeah. that 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 sense of of being a, an alpha, and he just doesn't have that. Also, I thought this match fell apart after the uh, the series of stiff German suplexes where everyone was being slammed onto the back of their head and neck. Um, if it turns out Cole's going into these matches, it went into this match injured, and he's been battling injuries. This kind of plays into another issue with AEW, which is their their lack of transparency with injuries and sending people to the ring or letting people send themselves to the ring without intervention from um, people evaluating them medically and whether that played into the botched finish that we saw here uh, in this match. Um, okay, uh, moving on to the main event, John Moxley and Hiroshi Tanahashi, the interim AEW world title uh, at stake here. Uh, Moxley wins to become the uh, interim champion. They did mention um, during the match at the beginning and near the end that uh, CM Punk is waiting in the wings and that he would be a factor soon. Uh, Or they didn't say soon, eventually. They were very vague about that too. Uh, But Moxley wins after some uh, dramatic near falls and near submissions late in the match. He was uh, very bloody uh, after what uh, they they attributed it to the the stomps that... uh, uh, Tanahashi did um, at at one point, and man, did he bleed a lot. Uh, so, uh, Todd, what do you think of this? I thought the match was overall good. The crowd was kind of flat, which I think worked against it for a lot of the way. They weren't there; they weren't flat the entire way. But like, they were hot at the beginning, and then they sort of sat for a while, and then they were kind of hot at the end. Um, but you know, it's a long show. Um, I I'm not a fan of the dueling chance, but I will say, as far as dueling chants go. Um, Tanahashi, let's go Moxley was on the high end of it. It had a nice little rhyme. It flowed together well. I thought it it was very rhythmic. I thought you know it it was good for the ears. Um, Todd and, uh, Martin. <laughs> 
No, that's not, not, not no. nearly as good. No, it isn't. Um, so, uh, let's see here. I mean, Moxie was bleeding to get behind it. Um, yeah, and then just the choke on the Death Rider. I mean, it was, uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it was what I expected going in, um, you know, as far as the, uh, you know, the layout and the booking. I thought that, you know, the crowd, <clears throat> the crowd liked Tanahashi and got behind him. So that was encouraging. And, uh, yeah, I thought the match overall was, uh, was, was solid. It didn't, it didn't feel like a, a special thing, but it was, uh, it was good. Uh, Sean, what'd you think? I pretty much agree with Todd. Um, you know, it was good. It got, it, you know, the Moxley bled a crazy amount from, you, you know, they, at first I thought they said it was the sling blade and then they said it was the stomps. Like, like Todd said, and, and the, it was dramatic down the stretch, but it, it, it just, I don't know. I, I thought they might be able to pull off a little more in terms of building some drama to the finish. Cause Tanahashi still had some really good matches in Japan this past year, but they kind of, you know, Moxley just kind of beat him in the end there, even though they did near falls and so forth. But it just, I, it just never went to that next level. But I guess I wasn't expecting it to either. Longing for some nostalgia? Or maybe you want to learn some wrestling history? Don't miss the 90s Passcast every Friday on the PW Torch Daily Cast feed. Alex and Patrick will transport you 30 years into the past by taking you through the torch issue from that very week. Follow news from the WWF and WCW and all the happenings from across the wrestling industry in real time as the torch reported it 30 years ago. That's the 90s Passcast every Friday on the PW Torch Daily Cast feed. Sean, did the crowd reaction be very, by the end, very pro-Tanahashi and not anti-Mox, but it, 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 Tanahashi became kind of the hometown favorite. It, why do you think that was, given how insanely popular Moxley has tended to be with AEW crowds? Um, I just think people tend to gravitate towards Tanahashi because he's, you know, he's such a baby face. You know, in Japan, they just it's hard not to love him. You know, you, you, we can no longer get his sweat and wipe it on ourselves because of the pandemic. But, uh, you know, he's just, uh, he just has this endearing quality about him, um, as a face. And it just, uh, I think he won the crowd over with, uh, just how he was, you know, presented in the build and then, you know, hanging in there with a guy like Moxley and, um, uh, on that stage. Did anyone else bleed on this show? I, 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 I don't recall silent. anyone else. Please. Yeah. And, and so like in, in that sense, I want to compliment AEW because I mean, like we had two, two tower of doom spots back to back in back to back matches. And I, I like that probably shouldn't happen in a, you know, like kind of well organized show. You kind of want one to be memorable and not go back to it right away. Not, not a big deal, but that just kind of was one thing I, I recalled thinking, okay, there's not necessarily oversight or just someone doesn't philosophically agree with me on that. But the idea that they didn't do blood until the main event, I think, made that that more um, more effective. But but I hesitate to say effective because this wasn't the type of match that needed blood. It, it So my, my compliment of not having blood on the show and and framing it as maybe more effective is is offset perhaps entirely on why did Moxley need to bleed in this match? unless he lacked confidence that it could live up to some of the other matches or he just wants to bleed in every match, I, I would have rather had there not be blood because 
or, or, or I don't know that there was another match that, that needed it otherwise either. But, I mean, it's okay to not have blood if you're Moxley or not have blood if you're AEW on a, on a show or in a main event. And I think the match would have been, like, just fine without it. What do you think on that, Todd? Totally get the point you're making because I, I do associate blood in general more with like a brawl or a battle between like hated people and you know they're attacking each other with weapons or stuff. So it it doesn't fit sort of that mold. With that said, I think that blood can add an intensity to any match, and so I don't think you necessarily need to reserve blood for just a big grudge match or a big brawl. Um, so I, I agree that it doesn't sort of fit the template of a match that necessarily you associate with blood, but I think it can still help a match, even if it's not that type of match. So given they didn't do it on any other matches on the show, I'm fine with it. I, I don't feel, I don't feel strongly like, Oh yeah, you definitely want to do it. But I also don't, I, if, you know, if, if that was their idea, I'd be like, yeah, that's fine. Uh, Sean, what do you think about that? I, I feel like you bleed. I, I feel like he bleeds like every time he's out there. Uh, you know, I said he's the Cal Ripken of bleeding. <laughs> oh, that's it's good. just like, he, yeah. like, I wish if he did it, at least like, you know, everyone could pinpoint, you know what I mean? Why? If, if especially yeah. when he's bleeding like that. I, I mean, but my thought was he did it to set up the final angle. So there was blood in the ring before blood and guts, you know, the whole mat covered in blood and, you know, guys brawling around, maybe, you know, maybe that was part of it, too. But it was so early in the match, and, and even the announcers are like, was it the sling blade? And it was like, yeah, no, it was... I'm pretty sure it was a Stom, Six Caliber said when Tony Khan told him what to say. Um, yeah, it was just, it, it, it was, it's just, yeah, it didn't, it didn't, you're right, it didn't help that it was kind of awkward because the bleeding seemed to just sort of happen uh, um, spontaneously. What's a, what's a better word than spontaneously? Um, out of contemporaneously, no- nah. There's a out of nowhere um, magic. Like it has a more magical thing, like a magical occurrence. Magically, no. There's a perfect word, <laughs> um, but is it magically? <laughs> anyway, um, I'm just trying to help. Wait, I, I, I don't know what you want from me. Well, you know, I mean, I, I, I some, something other than that. Um, uh, damn, damn, oh, I don't like when this happens. Out of thin air? Um, no, it's it's like a, a single word. One word. Oh, um, oh well. I'll move on. Um, although I am going to look up uh, a bunch of synonyms while we uh, talk about the post-match angle. Um, so I, I joked earlier, you know, the, the crowd was sort of, when, when you mentioned, Todd, that the crowd wasn't really into the post-match brawl, which was meant to set up blood and guts, <laughs> um, that, that, you know, you would think the one time they finally had a show with a brawl, the crowd would pop. But this is getting to be a bit of a joke. Like early on in AEW, every interview, there was a streak of like 17 interviews or something where everyone ended with an interruption. Um, and it just, it, there does seem to be a lack of self-awareness sometimes to some of the, the booking tropes in AEW, and it's not even sometimes booking tropes, it's just sort of formatting or just a lack of not being able to just stick your hand in the candy jar and shove a bunch of candy in your mouth when it, when the jar is open. It's like... <laughs> more candy! And more candy, yes. And it's just like, oh, a brawl! This would be a great way to promote what's coming up next. People love brawls to end a show. It's on a high note. It's like, no, just let a world title winner celebrate, and you can, like, just put a graphic in the corner going, blood and guts with these people coming up. You've done your job on Dynamite and Rampage. You should have by then. You don't need to manufacture 
a brawl that sort of takes away from the moment of, of the interim title and also just plays into a, a, what now just seems to be sort of a cliche to mock a little bit, which is AW's frequency of brawl. So, Sean, what do you think? Yeah, I just, I thought it was so unnecessary. You know what I mean? It just felt like so forced and unnecessary. And I mean, they had Claudio come back out and like to get like a milder pop after his first pop on his first night in. I mean, that just felt like, Hopefully that told Tony something, you know, when they saved all that for Claudio. I mean, they just, I mean, they 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 built up. I mean, I think I think they did enough building to blood and guts to, you know, just mention at the end of the show and go off the air and let the title match breathe instead of that that flat brawl. I mean, are you are you advertising to? I mean, I don't think you need to advertise to the pay per view audience. I mean, they're probably already coming on Wednesday. Uh, Todd, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think we have to like sort of temper the uh, the idea of it being a joke because it, it it is overtly a, a, a joke, and and I think kind of a funny one that they do keep doing this brawl over and over and over again. I mean, that's three three straight shows now, um, and yeah, the crowd was uh, the crowd was just sitting on their hands for most of it. So I mean, it was. Uh, I think sort of telling that if you keep doing stuff over and over again, um, that uh, it tends to work less, and particularly the uh, the timing of it, um, you know, after this main event. And I think, you know, a lot of people probably were just thinking, yeah, let's just uh, get a little bit of a, you know, little, you know, post world title match glow, and you know, instead they, uh, you know, did another of the the same brawl that we've seen a bunch of times. So yeah. I don't know how I'm supposed to think of the word that I'm trying to think of when you two keep talking. Um, <laughs> I was gonna. I was gonna mention. I got a text from Zach asking me if is this on. Is this on air when they were brawling? Around? Oh, funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're like he they're not really. It. They're not really doing this again, are they? <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. All right. Cool. Uh, any other thoughts on the show at all, Todd? I got nothing else. All right, Sean. How about you? Um. No. Not. I can't think of anything else. All right, well, I'm, I'll be texting you at 2 a.m. when that word comes to me. Um, <laughs> thanks, uh, thanks, Todd. Thanks, Sean. Thanks, VIP members. We will uh, – oh, thumbs up. I didn't do the thumbs up, middle down. Uh, Todd, thumbs up, down, or middle. Up. And uh, Sean. Thumbs up. Yeah, same thing. All right, uh, thank you, everybody. We'll talk to you next time. All right, so Forbidden Door 2023 takes place on Sunday, and we'll be doing another VIP-exclusive post-pay-per-view roundtable. So join us for that if you're a VIP member, and go VIP so you can join us for that Sunday night if you're not a VIP member. PWTorch.com slash GoVIP is how you get information on signing up through Patreon, directly through your podcast app on your iPhone, with your Apple account, or by credit card, debit card, or PayPal through our main VIP website. All the various ways to sign up are detailed at pwtorch.com slash govip. Wrestling fans, are you that person that works in a pro wrestling reference to every aspect of your life? 
Well, we're those kind of people too, but we do so with mixed martial arts. I'm Robert Vallejos, host of MMA Talk for Pro Wrestling Fans, every Monday on PW Torch's Daily Cast lineup. Not only do we cover every UFC and Bellator event, we provide context that only a wrestling fan would really understand. I mean, we're the type of people that if you ask us about how much of a mess the middleweight title situation is, we're likely to reference WCW in the early 90s. Think of us as a podcast for casual MMA fans done by hardcore wrestling nerds. And you can find us by searching PW Torch in Apple Podcasts or any popular podcast app. And we're always available on demand at PWTorchDailyCast.com where you can check out the entire lineup of the PW Torch Daily Casts. We invite you to email the show with feedback or questions or comments. That email address is Wade Keller Podcast at PWTorch.com. That's Wade Keller Podcast at PWTorch.com. Also, welcome your feedback on Twitter. You can follow us on Twitter at PWTorch and follow me at The Wade Keller. That's at PWTorch and at The Wade Keller. One way that you can help us sustain our schedule of putting out podcasts throughout the week is by giving us a five star rating on Apple Podcasts. Just go to Apple Podcasts and look for our Wade Keller Processing Podcast and Wade Keller Processing Post Show and give us a five-star rating. We hope you think we've earned that score with our fast turnaround times and our quantity and quality of wrestling analysis throughout the week. So take a moment out for us and do us a favor and give us a five-star rating at Apple Podcasts. That helps us on search returns and helps us grow. And if you want, you can add a few comments about what you like about the programs in the comments section. Thank you so much. Do you remember when Hulk Hogan shocked the world and formed the New World Order? Or when Stone Cold Steve Austin passed out in the sharpshooter to Bret the Hitman Hart? I'm Torch contributor Frank Pettiani, and I've reviewed these shows and many more for my exclusive VIP podcast, Pro Wrestling Then and Now. Together with a rotating chair of co-hosts, we go back 10, 20, even 30 years, review pay-per-views from top to bottom, talk about where the wrestlers were at the time, and compare what took place then to what what is taking place now. You get exclusive access to these and other podcasts as part of your PW Torch VIP membership, which is compatible with the Apple Podcasts app. Visit pwtorch.com slash govip for details and sign up for them. In 2012, NXT transitioned into the developmental system and ultimately the brand you see today. On the Torch VIP podcast, NXT Eight Years Back, we'll be taking a weekly look at this page in NXT's early history. Join Kelly Wells and me, Tom Stout, from PWT Talks NXT every Saturday as we go eight years back to the day to track NXT's rising talents and why they did or didn't work out, exclusively for PW Torch VIP members. Searching for more great pro wrestling talk? Then join me, Jason Powell, host of the free weekly Pro Wrestling Boom podcast. Each week, you'll hear the latest news and analysis from me and my team at ProWrestling.net, along with other pro wrestling media members. Plus, the Pro Wrestling Boom podcast features long-form interviews with notable names in the pro wrestling industry. Subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Downcast, and all your favorite secondary apps, or visit us directly at PWBoom.com. Once again, that's PWBoom.com. Need an extra dose of positivity in your wrestling podcasts? 
Well, come join me, Alan Forel, over in the Progress Paradise at Peterborough Torch VIP as we bask on the bright side of wrestling and focus on some of the great matches and shows from around the world, be it the US, Japan, Europe, or Mexico. There's always a place for wrestling's past in the Paradise too, and we've done fun historical shows such as the We Love Liger series, celebrating the glorious career of Jushin Thunder Liger, and our I Was There When shows, where a guest will join me to talk about a classic bout that they were in attendance for. We love variety, and you can expect lots of it at the Pro Rest Paradise. Detailed PWF Torch VIP subscription information and a list of all the VIP benefits is available at pwtorchvipinfo.com. And yes, all VIP podcasts are compatible with popular podcast apps on iPhone and Android devices. Or you can stream them directly from our ad-free VIP mobile site. See you in the paradise! Wrestling fans... Are you that person that works in a pro wrestling reference to every aspect of your life? Well, we're those kind of people too, but we do so with mixed martial arts. I'm Robert Vallejos, host of MMA Talk for Pro Wrestling Fans, every Monday on PW Torch's Daily Cast lineup. Not only do we cover every UFC and Bellator event, we provide context that only a wrestling fan would really understand. I mean, we're the type of people that if you ask us about how much of a mess the middleweight title situation is, we're likely to reference WCW in the early 90s. Think of us as a podcast for casual MMA fans done by hardcore wrestling nerds. And you can find us by searching PW Torch in Apple Podcasts or any popular podcast app. And we're always available on demand at pwtorchdailycast.com where you can check out the entire lineup of the PW Torch Daily Casts. Now that it's summer, you might be looking for wholesome, convenient meals for sunny, active days. Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit, can help you fuel up fast with flavorful and nutritious ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You'll save time, eat well, and stay on track reaching your goals, and you won't be sitting around waiting for that delivery to your front door or having to make a trip to the grocery store. If you're too busy with summer plans to cook but want to make sure you're eating well, Factor is the answer. Skip that trip to the grocery store. Skip the chopping, prepping, and cleaning up too while still getting flavor and the nutritional quality you need. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are ready in just two minutes. So all you have to do is heat and enjoy and then get back outside and soak up the warm weather. And if you get hungry in the middle of watching pro wrestling, well... During a video package, you can throw a Factor meal in the microwave, and two minutes later, you're sitting down finishing the show, but with a meal you can feel good about eating. I have loved having Factor in my refrigerator. I eat primarily a vegan diet, and I love their options, but they've got options for everybody, including people who are on keto diets or people who are on no special diet. There's barbecue sloppy joes, jalapeno beef mac and cheese, red pepper queso chicken, Italian sausage, and sweet pepperonata. I think that's how you say it. Ancho live salmon, 
and more. The selection is exciting every week when you get to pick out the meals that you want. They'll auto-select meals for you that fit your category if that's easier for you. But you can easily customize what gets delivered to your house and even skip a week or two if you're going to be away or have a lot of dinner plans outside the house. It's so nice having these meals in the refrigerator knowing that they are dietitian approved nutrient-dense meals that are going to leave you feeling satisfied. I can speak from experience when I have a factor meal. I don't even think about snacking for hours afterwards. That's how satisfying they are. But they've got calorie-conscious options, too, for this summer in case you're trying to lose some weight. And if you're trying to put on some muscle mass or gain weight, they have Protein Plus meals with 30 grams of protein or more per serving. If you've thought of going vegan but think it comes without taste or satisfaction, this is the place to start. My next delivery includes three bean vegan chili, vegan mushroom marsala, harissa, I think that's how you say it, braised garbanzo stew. The next week, my vegan options are peanut buddha bowl, tomato roasted vegetable risotto, smoked tofu almond stir fry, and blackened tofu. Those are the meals I'm looking forward to the next few weeks. You can also round out your meal and replenish your snack supply with cold-pressed juices, shakes, smoothies, and more. So head to factormeals.com slash wade50. That's factormeals.com slash 50 and use code wade50 to get 50% off your first box. That's code wade50 at factormeals.com slash wade50 to get 50% off your first box. Longing for some nostalgia? Or maybe you want to learn some wrestling history? Don't miss the 90s Passcast every Friday on the PW Torch Daily Cast feed. Alex and Patrick will transport you 30 years into the past by taking you through the Torch issue from that very week. Follow news from the WWF and WCW and all the happenings from across the wrestling industry in real time as the Torch reported it 30 years ago. That's the 90s Passcast every Friday on the PW Torch Daily Cast feed. Aloha, Torch Faithful. This is Kelly Wells, host of PWT Talks NXT. Every Thursday, you can hear me and my gang of idiots, Tom Stout, who shares thoughts from the live tapings, and Torch recapper Nate Lindbergh, as well as a rotating cast of guests, cover the matches and events in NXT Live on USA Network. Search PW Torch in Apple Podcasts or your podcast app to subscribe. Or listen on demand and see the entire PW Torch Daily Cast schedule at pwtorchdailycast.com. Cheers! Thanks for downloading today's show. Take it to the next level with a VIP membership. Get shows like this, the Wake Killer Processing Podcast, Wake Killer Processing Post Show, and the PW Torch Daily Casts on our PW Torch VIP podcast feed with ads and plugs removed from the shows for a streamlined listening experience. And also hear the VIP exclusive shows that I host with Rich Fan and Todd Martin. Everything with Rich Fan and The Fix with Todd Martin's signature VIP series that you're missing out without a VIP membership. So go VIP here in 2022 and enjoy all the benefits, all the bonus content, and the ad-free listening experience. PWTorch.com slash go VIP. Anytime you're watching WWE Raw or SmackDown or AEW Dynamite in particular, send us an email if you've got thoughts on the show or a topic you want us to address or a question for us. Wade Keller Podcast at PWTorch.com. Wade Keller Podcast at PWTorch.com. If there's anything else going on in pro wrestling that you want us to address on our main podcast during our mailbag segments, that same email applies. Wade Keller Podcast at PWTorch.com. We invite that interaction. 
let us know what you think of what we're saying and let us know what you want us to talk about and ask us specific questions. Wade Keller podcast at pwtorch.com. Support us on Patreon starting at $4.99. Get these shows ad-free and bonus VIP content. That's $4.99 on Patreon. Patreon.com slash PWTorchVIP. That's Patreon.com slash PWTorchVIP. That is the quickest, cheapest, and easiest way to support us and enjoy these shows with a streamlined listening experience. The Wade Keller Post Shows, Podcasts, and the PW Torch Daily Casts, plus some random VIP bonus content. March through pro wrestling history with a PW Torch VIP membership throughout the week. Every week, we jump back 18 years to our earliest podcasts. And you can march through our coverage of pro wrestling history with our contemporaneous coverage of all the major pay-per-views, Wade Keller hotlines with behind-the-scenes news, the Bruce Mitchell audio shows with in-depth current events analysis at that time, along with history lessons and strong opinions, the real deal with Pat McNeil with the Hot 5 Stories of the Week and the Indie Show lineup of the week, and more. Go VIP and relive wrestling history or learn about it for the first time as we continue to march through our 2005 library near the anniversary dates of when they aired 18 years ago on that date. To become a PW Torch VIP member, go to pwtorch.com slash govip and sign up today. Every Sunday night, catch Wrestling Night in America on PWTorchDailyCast.com, hosted by me, PW Torch columnist Greg Parks. Each week, I'll welcome a co-host from the Torch family to discuss the big shows in pro wrestling, taking your calls and emails. You can listen live most weeks beginning at 8 p.m. Eastern. On Sunday nights with a WWE or Impact pay-per-view, we go on the air at the conclusion of that pay-per-view. You can listen live, but of course the full show is available for download on demand anytime shortly after it airs. Visit PWTorchDailyCast.com and click the live stream link to find the next scheduled live show link. Search PW Torch in Apple Podcasts or your podcast app to subscribe. Wrestling Night in America every Sunday, PWTorchDailyCast.com. Give yourself a reason to look forward to going to the mailbox each week with a PW Torch newsletter paper copy subscription. Details at pwtorch.com slash paper copy. It's 12 pages every week packed with my TV reports along with exclusive features such as my cover story on the top story of the week, our pay-per-view roundtable reviews from the Torch staff, exclusive feature-length columns from Greg Parks, Rich Fan, Sean Radikin, Alan Cunahan, and Zach Hadorn, Torch Talk transcripts, the latest news, and more pwtorch.com slash paper copy. Take a break from screen time and settle in every week with a mega dose of wrestling news and analysis with a Pro Wrestling Torch newsletter paper copy edition in the year 2022. You can get a full year of home delivery for just $99. Or try us for an eight-week trial subscription. pwtorch.com slash paper copy. <laughs> 